Welcome to People from the Program, a podcast highlighting alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. Welcome, everyone, to People from the Program, the podcast that highlights the career journeys of alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. I'm your host, Bryce Butler, founder and chairman of the NYU Music Business Alumni Network and a proud alum myself of the NYU Music Business Program. On today's show, our guest is Xavier Jernigan, the voice of Spotify, as well as their head of cultural partnerships. Now, when I say the voice of Spotify, I mean that literally. <laughs> X is the voice and personality behind the world's first AI DJ, Spotify's newly launched feature that's already changing the way the world listens to music. And as the head of cultural partnerships, X is also a Spotify executive, as well as their go-to host for Spotify events around the world. X, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm a proud NYU music business alum. I'm now on the Dean's advisory board. So I'm I'm feeling good, Bryce. You the homie. So I'm I'm glad to be here, bro. Bro, I gotta let the I gotta let the listeners know. Full disco disclosure. Yeah. I'm a little bit biased because X is definitely the homie. I've known yes. X <laughs> for over 10 years. Yeah, easily. Brother's journey. Yeah. I am honored and humbled that he would come on the show just to talk about everything he's doing because he's doing so many cool things. All of my guests have are doing cool things. X yeah. is definitely doing great things in the business. He's a great ambassador for the business. And I know people are going to learn you. a lot just from your journey and your career story, man. So I'm really glad that you decided to come on the show. Glad to be here. Glad that you reached out to me. And really, my journey can be anybody's journey. I know mine is unique right. and so is everybody's, right? But I hope what I've gone through, what steps I've taken, I hope it I hope it speaks to somebody and gives somebody hope and just, you know, let somebody know it's going to be okay cuz I've been through it all, y'all. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and folks going to learn a little bit, you know, and we always try to inform the listeners with based on people's jobs and what they're getting into. So, yeah. we'll see where the conversation goes, man, yeah. but no, have to, happy to have you on. Let me jump in. Yeah, let's go. Question. I start with the basic one. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your journey to the NYU Music Business Program. How'd you find it? How'd you get there? Okay, so my answer is going to be a little, and probably all of them are going to be this way, y'all. So just, I'm just warning you in advance. My answers are going to be a little unconventional, but I got to tell it the way it happened for me. I tell the story the same way because the story is truth. If you deal in truth, you don't have to have a good memory. So I'm going to just tell you how it happened for me. I got to start off by shouting out FAMU, Florida A&M University. That's my undergrad and I have another master. So I did a five-year MBA program at FAMU. It's an HBCU if you don't oh, know historically. I didn't know you got the here. master's there too, bro. See, I'm learning something new already. Yeah, Bryce, I did a I did a five-year MBA with a marketing concentration. I always knew education is big in my family. I'm from Daytona Beach, Florida. I've been a Brooklyn Knight for half of my life at this point. But born and raised in Daytona Beach, Florida. And one thing to know about Daytona Beach besides NASCAR and spring spring break is that it's a home of an HBCU, Bethune-Cookman University, Mary McLeod Bethune. You might have heard the story. She came down there with a few cents in her pocket, started a school for girls of color, little black girls that ended up evolving into an HBCU that's been around for over 100 years. So my family went to Bethune-Cookman University. My aunt and uncle worked there. My mom went there. And she actually had me and my brother when she was a student 
at Bethune-Cookman University. Oh, nice, nice. And I say all of this, y'all, to say I grew up around an HBCU. So what college mm-hmm. looked like for me was cool, young, smart, black people yeah. going to college. So it wasn't a foreign concept to me. And we got to go up to the school a lot. When I say we, I'm talking about my mother, but also my brother who's 13 months older than me. Shout out to Hutch. We would always go up there and visit my Aunt Helen, rest in peace, my Uncle James, rest in peace. And then my cousin, their sons, so our first cousins, Terry, went there. Another cousin, Zach, was section leader of the drumline. And we would go to the homecoming parades, the football games, and Bryce, we'd be downtown Daytona Beach, which is like a historic downtown, not like tall buildings, but like historical buildings, right? We go downtown and that's where the main part of the parade would come through. And then my cousin, Zach, who is a genius, I mean, a mm. brilliant musician, would come mm. marching through with the drum line. And then when he saw his little cousins standing there on the side, he'd wink at us and then he'd show out and then he'd have the drum line do something special for us. <laughs> nice. And we stood there and we just fell in love. And this is like, the black experience of going to a historically black college or university. Yeah. And it was just always cool to us. And our mother always talked about, well, you're going to college. So for us, that wasn't a foreign concept. Going to school meant, you, well, you're going to go to college next. So for us, it wasn't a big deal in the sense that we were going to go to college. And for us, this is me and my brother, we always knew we were going to an HBCU. So my brother, he went to Howard. And then I only applied to two schools, Bryce, and I got really good grades and all of that stuff. I got letters from everywhere. I'm talking about Harvard, Princeton, literally you name it. I had a drawer. Let them know. (laughs) Let them know. You name the school. I had a letter from that school trying to get me to go there, right? And I had this drawer in my bedroom, and it was empty at the beginning of my junior year. By the end of my senior year, it was stuffed full with letters from every possible school. But even with all of that, because HBCU was the experience that I wanted for college. I only applied to two schools and I applied to Howard. My brother was there. And then I also applied to FAMU and I applied to FAMU because they had a five-year MBA program and a renowned business school. And I chose FAMU because of that. It was a five-year MBA and I always knew I was going to get my master's degree. So the reason I chose FAMU is because not just because of the five-year MBA program, but because of the size of the student body, 10,000 students. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that big, I still wanted a bigger college experience with sports being a big part of it and people caring about the football team. And then they had a, you know, an amazing marching band. My brother went on to be section leader of the marching band at Howard. See how seeing it, this is going to be a theme in this conversation, seeing something like that, something getting instilled in you at a certain point in your life, it can help shape you. Now, fam, you has the best marching band on the planet. I'll argue anybody down to marching 100. But let me tell we'll you something. We'll see what the listeners say. We'll see what the listeners say. They better know. They better know. So check this out, Bryce. So I was in the marching band, at, you know, along with my brother, obviously. So I was a drummer as well. Man, I went up to fam, you. You know, this is in Florida now. My brother went up to Howard in, in Washington, D.C., if y'all don't know, in D.C. Shout out to D.C. the DMV. Shout out to D.C. So, you know, I went up there, man, and I started practicing in that hot sun and that humidity <laughs> and that heat index over 100 degrees. I was like, nah, uh, I nah, am retired. No, nah, <laughs> we're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I retired from band. But I always planned 
on taking whatever I do into the entertainment industry. It was just something that right. always spoke to me. I mm-hmm. chose the marketing route because I would always be interested in when I saw commercials, watching entertainment, watching just TV or watching anything or listening to the radio, wondering how they came up with a commercial when there was a good one that spoke to me, who was behind that? And you'll remember this, Bryce, a movie a movie called Boomerang that I love so much. Eddie Murphy, oh, Rodney Gavis, Halle Berry. Yeah, if y'all haven't seen Boomerang, shame on you, first of all. <laughs> Secondly, go see it. If you saw it, you know what it is. Eddie Murphy and, and the main characters in the movie are marketing and advertising executives. And that just right. showed us in that business setting and just showed like elements of marketing and it looked so sexy and cool. I was like, I, I can do that because it's creative. And you can think out of the box and you can connect these dots and get under the hood yeah. of like how people think and what would connect with somebody and how right. you would reach somebody. Because I would wonder, Bryce, sitting at home in Daytona, how can somebody somewhere think of something that's going to reach me right. sitting here in front of my TV? So I wanted to know how all right. that worked. So and that's that movie why had us in it. It had, it had us in it. In yes. it. We could see ourselves. Yes. All the executives are black, you yes. know, and it's all that's important. That's just such a key part of my story. Why I chose an HBCU is because I could go there and get built up even further right. than I mm-hmm. did. In, you know, than I did in my ho- household and hometown. I could go there and get built up and then get ready and go out into the world. So my plan, this is my plan way back at FAM, Bryce, was let me get this knowledge get out in the working world, get textbook marketing knowledge, and then at some point pivot and flip that into the entertainment industry. So that's what I right. did. So right. once I got out in the working world, I did three inter- internships in a program. You got to do three internships. So, and it also, that also gave me experience going out and living places that I hadn't lived before. Like I did mm. my first internship was Edward Jones investments in St. Louis, Missouri. So that was the first mm. time I ever took a plane. You know, oh, my wow. trips before then were all road trips. Like we were road trip now. We went places. Like, even when I went, went to DC to see my brother, that was in a car. Like, that was we, in a car. Yeah, that was in a car all the way from Daytona, right? And I got family in Alabama, so we go there. But so we, I went all different places, like in the southeast mainly. But we would do it by car. That was my first time on a plane and spending a summer mm. in St. Louis, living by myself, get, getting this corporate experience. And what I did, Bryce, this was my approach to like i knew i wanted to do entertainment but i also wanted to dip my toe in other industries just to see you know maybe maybe it's something else so edward jones investments financial services industry so what's marketing like in that industry so that's what i learned that summer Hmm. great experience in terms of the people and learning how to be in a corporate environment but not for me next summer you're not for me Next summer, I did NCR Corporation. And if y'all don't know NCR, look at any ATM, any cash register when you're in a grocery store or buying some clothes in a physical environment. And it's probably the three initials NCR on either the ATM or the cash register. It stands for National Cash Register. They basically make the majority of ATMs and cash registers. So this is B2B. So I was like, well, you know what I mean? So let me get some B2B marketing experience this was in dayton ohio so i spent the summer in dayton ohio Shout out to so, dayton. i went to the university of dayton probably oh you alone. did come on man the flyers <laughs> yes, <I did. laughs> yes so i would be all around i played ball with a lot of those dudes so shout out to ud and all my ohio people by the way i got a lot of people in ohio so shout out to ohio. 
Shout out to Ohio. So spent the summer in Dayton. B2B, great experience. That marketing in terms of a career wasn't for me either. But right. it was it's good to find out what you don't like. Finding out what you don't like is just as important or maybe, maybe more important than knowing what you do like. So, yes. you know, so I did that. Right. And then I'm, you know, get familiar with the Midwest. Now I spent the summer in St. Louis, Missouri. Now I spent the summer in Dayton, Ohio. Next internship was my graduate level internship. And the way the program works, Bryce, around year three, you're wrapping up your graduate work, excuse me, your undergraduate work, and you're starting to shift into your grad work. That's how the program works. Uh, so, okay. so your, so your last internship is a graduate student level internship. And this one, I was able to get with Coke. So I was at Coca-Cola in Atlanta, you know, different vibe. You know what I mean? Different cities. Absolutely. So, then, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, and this is, you know, this is CPG, consumer packaged goods marketing. And that's more of the marketing that was reaching me because marketing is their bread and butter. You're trying to tap into this. Right. You know, they're all trying to tap into consumer group, of course. But this is more like. It's the sexy stuff, you know, it's, it's Coca-Cola, Coke is it, catch the wave. I mean, all these Absolutely. taglines over the years. So that's why I really wanted that level of internship. And I was so blessed to get it. So I got there, I got an offer from there, but I turned them down. I also had an offer mm. from Ford, turned them down. Mm. And I took an offer with Procter & Gamble, P&G, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And you being a Dayton, you know, it's only what, 40 minutes away? Yeah, yeah, only like 45 minutes. Yep. Four, yeah, it's a 45 minute drive. So I chose to go to Procter and Gamble, PNG, and I took a job in marketing research. And I did that one because PNG is credited with basically shaping brand management as we know it, consumer marketing as we mm -hmm. know it. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to get that level of experience. One sec, Bryce McClemore, though. <clears throat> I wanted to get that level of experience. So I went there, and, mm -hmm. and I also had an opportunity. We're talking about working and seeing people on film or growing up, people that looked like you and the importance of that. I had yep. an opportunity, and this it was because one of the people that was on a recruitment team for FAMU was somebody that worked in marketing research, black woman, a sister. Man, she was only two years older than me. Oh, and wow. she was part of a recruitment team. And she was like, hey, Xavier, we have a spot on this team. Would you, we'd love to have you on this team. And then so she was just two years older than me coming right out of college. And then our director, mm. the head of our whole department, she was a black woman too. So it's like I had these generations and our coordinator was a black woman as well. So I was like, oh man, like this, wow. this will feel okay. more like, I mean, so rare. I don't even, I know that was God. It was, it was just <laughs> right. so rare. So that's why I was like, absolutely. I gotta, I gotta do this. And they, you know, they were, they were tough on me. I'm not gonna lie to you, Bryce. They were mm -hmm. on my head. Oh, I bet was, they were. <laughs> you know, I had to, I had to grow up fast professionally and they, you know, they cut me no slack in the best of ways, not in a right. bad way, in the best of ways, just demanding excellence. And they gave me the tools I needed and they, they always made themselves available, but I had to, I had to step it up. You know, now I'm in the working world. Now I'm out of school. Like there are business needs and I was hired yeah. to do a job. There are deliverables you gotta, you gotta bring to the table. Right. So I just learned a lot. So the basis of my job was to interview and, and also this Bryce, 
I was in charge of or, or worked on a team that was in charge of African-American consumer marketing and Latino marketing. So it was, okay. Right. So very interesting. Right. So I was in charge of for the brands that I worked on. So think Tampax, tampons, think Swiffer, think gain laundry detergent, right. think Tide. I would be responsible for for certain projects going in and setting up the consumer research. So it could look like surveys, but it can also look like in-home interviews in different cities. It can look like focus groups where you're literally sitting behind the two-way or the one-way mirror, where you look through the mirror, well, or no, two-way mirror, excuse me, where you're looking through, but they can't see through and they're right. sitting in a room and it's moderated mm -hmm. interviews and conversations. And then I would yes. take all this information from all the different cities. So I got to travel a lot right out of, college right into the working world. So I would go to New York all the time. I would, we had an office in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I would go to all the time. I would go to Atlanta all the time, Chicago, LA, and we would go and do interviews in all these different cities with these different groups. And usually it was single house, like head of household, female between the ages of 14, you know, 18 and 49 is right. like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So yeah. we would do all of that stuff and we would see how they interact with the different products. All this is right. going somewhere, mm -hmm. y'all. It, it would, we would see. So I would have to understand who was the target consumer for this particular product mm -hmm. or brand. And then it was my job to go back and write up a, a learning statement, like a summary mm -hmm. of what we came away with. Like, oh, these are the top line learnings that we can apply to the advertising mm. and then i would have valuable three, experience ex right oh my gosh i'm so thankful yeah, it was very i'm valuable. so thankful so i did that great experience and i did it for about a year and a half and i gotta tell you this this <laughs> this i'm just sometimes bryce in life i wonder if anybody else feels this way i wonder if you feel this way like sometimes something happens and you're like why stuff always got to happen like that for me sometimes you just you think you want like i just want a regular experience why now check this out and this is why i say that with this experience my first day y'all i am not exaggerating this we can google it we can look it up my first day at procter and gamble not my second day not my sixth my first day on the job it was the biggest single day stock price drop in the history of procter and gamble my wow. first day the first stock day. price dropped by 50 percent <laughs> my first day Procter and Gamble we talking bounty tie oh yeah yeah cheer. yeah like like we ain't like like we ain't never running out of money right. stuff like that right you printing up money yeah you printing money right right and I'm like what so basically what that meant is that people lost 50 percent of their pensions and you know wow. the company's gonna have to decide what they're gonna do so we knew something was going to come at a certain point the CEO got fired so there was oh, a CEO. I mean, this wow. is Procter and Gamble now. We're talking <laughs> yeah. Fortune 50, I think Fortune yeah. 20, possibly. Possibly, right? probably. Right? <laughs> probably, right? Yeah. <laughs> the CEO got fired. New CEO wow. comes in. So what ends up happening about, I would say about nine months after I started, they started having everybody do reviews again, even if you had a review a month prior. So that's a little shady. Right, little right, little right. suspect, right? Like, right, wait, absolutely. I just, right, I just had a review that was really good. Now we're doing reviews again. We just had one a few weeks ago. They started right. doing that. So it's kind of like, oh, okay. So mm -hmm. instead of just having straight up layoffs like we're seeing that's happening now, what they did was 
they were trying to push people into mm -hmm. looking into voluntary packages right so they didn't have to have quote unquote layoffs but this is another right. way of doing it right and i'm right. just telling you how, how it went down how it went down like mm -hmm. these these are facts so mm -hmm. they started doing voluntary packages and the way it worked bryce is you could request with hr to see a package you didn't have to take it didn't mean you didn't mean you have to take it but you can say oh well let me see what a package would look like for me and it had different thresholds so mm -hmm. one would be if you worked at png for a year to two years you'd get three months severance they'd give you five thousand dollars to go back to school like if you went back to school within the next two years they'd literally write a check to you for five thousand dollars three months severance and then like career outplacement services things like that so that bad i've only been there at this point less than a year right so i was considering that and then they basically this i'm always gonna give it to you real i just got a bad review out of the blue it was straight bogus man Mm. And I'm not the only one that happened to. I, I know mm -hmm. other people, people who have been there a really long time it happened to, people who have mm -hmm. been there as short as me because they had a certain number they were trying to get to. You're trying and to get to, right? And all of a mm -hmm. sudden, like that one time I walked into a research session five minutes late because I was in New York and didn't know which way I was going pre-iPhone. You know what I mean? They're like trying to ding me for that. Like, yeah, wow, one day you were late. Like, like hold that. up. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was, yeah, it was like that. Oh, it yeah. Was, yeah. It was I'm, like yeah. that. Like I know what that's like. I'm familiar with stuff. Right? So that's why I tell y'all, hold on if you got laid off. Like, I know it happens different for everybody, but I've been there. And this wasn't even the time I was talking about when I got laid off. But I was pseudo laid off because I was essentially forced. My hand was forced mm. into looking at a voluntary package. And long story short, I ended up taking it, which was one of the best decisions I could have possibly made because I got what I needed from Procter & Gamble. And it was time for me to think about that next move. And I know I've known since I was three years old, Bryce, that's what I'm talking about. Unconventional. I've known since I was three years old that I was supposed to move to New York. Literally. It's one of my first, it's one of my first realizations, actualizations in life that I ever had. And it was just something that I knew. I just knew I would see it on TV. I would see these movies and I would see it on TV shows and I would point to the TV and say to my mom and my dad and my brother, I'm going to live there one day. I'm going to live in New York. Mm -hmm. I'm going to live. I'm going to live in New York one day. I'm going to go there and quote unquote, make it. You know what I mean? They had a lot of movies about that when I was growing up about going to New York and making it, you know, all the people down the street, you got your suit on and you walking to work and people bumping <laughs> in. You. It just looked so cool to me, but I knew as I just knew that that's what I was supposed to do. I just, I just knew it. And when I say, I got to say it, the story how it is for me it's because god planted that in my heart and just mm -hmm. planted that idea yeah. in my mind so very clearly that i knew that's what my life was going to look like so all that being said now i'm leaving procter and gamble i gotta get to new york i'm thinking about it i gotta get to new york it's time to get to new york i want to get to new york, new york. what's mm. next and then i'm just sitting there and very similarly so when I was three, four years old, it was three or four at the most, very similarly, this clear thought just got planted in my head. And this is how I got to NYU, y'all. Bryce, this is how I got there, man. Mm -hmm. I only knew one person at NYU. She was in law school at the time. She went to FAMU as well. Shout out to Noel. She was at NYU. That's the only person I knew at NYU. Oh, and my homeboy, Jose, he was in a math program at NYU. He also went to FAM. He was getting a PhD. He's actually now a professor at nice. NYU. So check nice. it though. I didn't talk to them about it. 
I was just sitting on the side of my bed thinking about what was next. And it was just like, oh, maybe you should go back to school. Oh, okay. Uh, what school? Well, NYU may have a program that you may like. And I'm thinking, and mm. I'm really just sitting on the side of my bed in downtown Cincinnati thinking to myself, but I already got a master's degree. I don't know about going back to school. Like, mm. go back to school for what? Right. Go, on, go online, Google NYU music business, see what you come up with. I did. Mm. I immediately, I just go online. I, this is a true story. True story. I immediately go, get online, type in NYU music business, bow. That's how I first heard about NYU's music business program. Wow. And I read the blurb and I said, oh my gosh, that sounds like me. That yeah. sounds like a program. If I went back to school, I would go back to school for that. And it's a graduate program too. I know they got the undergrad program, but master of arts in music business. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. So what I'll do is I'm gonna get my next job in New York, get as close to New York, hopefully in the city, but not if not in the city, as close as possible. So if it has to be Jersey, then it has to be Jersey or whatever. I'm gonna get as close to the city. I'm gonna work for a year. I'm gonna apply to NYU during that time. I'm gonna get accepted. I told you I only applied to two schools coming right. out. I don't I didn't do and it's no knock on anybody who does, you know, did safety schools, anything like that. If that's your strategy. I'm just telling you how I move. Right. When I have my sight set on something, when I know something is for me, I just put set my sights to it and I put my all into it. So I said, I'm going to get a job in the New York area. I'm going to get that job, you know, in marketing, work that for a year. During that year, I'll apply to NYU. I'm going to mm. get accepted because I'm putting everything into it. And right. then I'll be a full-time student. And that's exactly what happened. Mm. I got a job at Church and Dwight Incorporated. They own Arm & Hammer. So Arm & Hammer, for all intents and purposes, they're based in Princeton, New Jersey. They moved me. Well, I had them move me to Jersey City right, right. across from the, you know, right across from World Trade Center. Interesting. One of the early entrants to New York, to, to Jersey City. You was over yes. there before. Maybe yes. a lot of people were like, oh, I'm going to Jersey City. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Like very, very early. They were just now the tallest building in New Jersey. When you look over on the Jersey side, it's, it's a building that is like very prominent. That's that's really tall, a really pretty building. They were just putting the finishing touches on that building when I moved. And I was two blocks from where I lived, oh, directly wow. across the river from the Twin Towers. And oh, wow. right right as I was moving in, 9-11 happened. So, oh, wow. So, so I saw the ground smoking for mm. months. They didn't show that on the news. That ground was smoking for, for months. So mm -hmm. that was my entree into the city and into this area. So I worked at Church in Dwight for a year. I was associate product manager for the Arm & Hammer Dental Care Toothpaste line. So I did all the marketing and all of that. And it was less resources at Arm & Hammer versus right. a Procter & Gamble. So things that would have been done by like different departments were rolled up into big, you know, bigger departments. And I think you know, for your journey and where you are now in your career, you're experiencing that being at a startup, you know, sometimes you go to a different place and they may not have all the different teams and stuff like, right. Absolutely. You know, like a big old Procter and Gamble. Oh has. yeah, absolutely. 
which is which is a blessing and a curse, right? You go there, you're like, oh my God, I gotta do that too. Well, I gotta <laughs> I gotta do forecasting. What? I thought finance did that. But it was this great experience. Man, and I reverse commuted. This is how bad I wanted it, Bryce, because I wanted I chose to live in Jersey City and close to the city because at after work, at nighttime, on the weekends, I wanted direct access into the city so I could go to concerts and things like that. A lot of friends in the city and experience that. So I was willing to reverse commute down to central Jersey to Princeton. So it was on average about an hour and a half, one way to work and Mm. coming back. So I was in my car three hours a day, five days a week. So 15 hours of my life on average, sometimes longer, was in my car. It was in your car. Going to work because I wanted to do this, man. I just wanted to get into the entertainment industry and get to this business, man. And I love that we spent that we're taking our time, taking it, telling this part of the story. So, so many times I have to breeze over this story because you, mm-hmm. you know, I've been working a while now. So, right. <clears throat> and people want to hear about Spotify and people want to hear about record labels and all of right. that, which I understand, but they don't get a chance to hear this part of the story. Right. It's so important. Right. right. You know what I mean? Because it's shaped where I am now. And when I look back, I'm like, wow, like, so even me now sitting in this part is very meaningful to me because I remember what the journey was like. And I remember Bryce being in my car, man, and just driving down. And I was just looking at the odometer, the miles going up. And I was Mm. just equating that to time on my life. And I was just like, I want this time to matter. I wanted to mean something, man. And it was a good job and the people were good to me and, but I, I had to do something different. So I applied, you know, I got the interview and then I interviewed and I just felt so good about it. And what, something that was dope, shout out to NYU and the music business program for this. Yes. They respect and do- fans. And Dr. Moore, who was Dr. The, who Catherine the Moore. Um, yes. Yes. Dr. Moore. My heart. I took so many classes with her. She really helped me so much, man. And, I, and when I interviewed with her, I was like, this is a dope woman like this mm-hmm. lady is really cool really interesting yes. and one thing she did was they said we'll knock off a semester of your coursework because you already have your mba yeah you just yes. you've only been out of school a couple of years you don't have to take those classes over that you would take in stern and for those you know who don't know you know we take a lot of classes in stern yeah and that's the business school mm-hmm. at nyu so they were yeah. like you don't need to take those classes over. So we'll knock off a semester. And as you know, we, we, we could say this, you know, we're amongst friends, we're amongst family. And why you ain't cheat? And why you commonly the most expensive school in this country? Not That's at all. the stat. Not at all. So mm. knocking off one out of four semesters and reducing it to three semesters out of four is a huge savings. So I was thankful for that. So that was really cool. And I don't know how this happened, Bryce. I got to tell this story. I just, it just popped into my head. I don't know how this happened. <laughs> Man, so I told you, you know, Princeton is a good hour, 15, hour and a half, depending on the time of day and what traffic is looking like from yes. Jersey City. But if you're coming all the way into the city, NYU's in the village, you know, we, you're talking probably two hours. You got to give oh, it two yeah, hours, absolutely. right? With traffic, absolutely. With traffic, you got to give it two hours. I don't absolutely. know how this happened, Bryce. But it's either way, either way, on the last the day the applications were due, I do not know how I let it 
get to this point. I had this plan together for like a year. Mm. Somehow the application was all done together, beautifully put together. But I know all I know was the last day that these things had to like be in. And I think you could have postmarked it, but mm. I got a little nervous. It was like, as long as it's postmarked by the date, I think last second I got nervous and I was like, what if this thing doesn't show up? Right. And I remember I was, I was at Princeton's post office and I left. I didn't, I didn't send it. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't trust this to show up. I don't know why I felt that way. I don't know what it was, but I said, I gotta, I gotta physically take this there. And I don't know if I called my manager at the time and just said, Hey, I gotta go. I got this thing to do. I don't even, I don't even remember what I did, but I remember saying, I gotta get there now. And I checked and saw what time the office closed and it was going to be a tight, tight window. This is risky now. I'm not mailing it. So now I got to get there, you know, and physically drop it off before the office closes. Mm. All the way from Princeton, New Jersey. And the, and the post office I was at was literally on the campus of like Princeton's campus or right by there, right? Man, right. I'm speeding. I don't recommend this, y'all. Obey your local speed laws. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I'm speeding up the New Jersey turnpike. I'm like, and it's about to storm on top. I promise y'all I'm not making this up. I promise you every story I tell you is exactly what happened. It's about to storm any minute. You don't want to, <laughs> when the sky is really dark and you know, it's going to yeah. come down any minute. It was like yeah. that, but it hadn't come down yet. And I'm speeding. It's about, let's say it's like four o'clock. So it, the traffic hadn't kicked in yet. So the, so the New Jersey turnpike is open. So I'm, I'm speeding. I'm hoping I don't get pulled over. I make it all the way to my place in Jersey City. I pull into the parking garage. All I did was run inside, grab an umbrella, and then just, you know, I'm running for the, you know, the train. I got to get to the light rail, to the path. So I go to the light rail. Now, right. this is the thing. Where I lived, Bryce, if y'all know anything about the path train, Exchange Place is like one stop in from Manhattan. That takes you on to One World Trade Center now. But One World Trade Center, it wasn't even One World Trade Center, then it was just World Trade Center. That station right. was closed because of 9-11. Oh, what? yes, I remember So the, clo the closest path train to me, I had always had to pass that and go to another one that was farther away and then change trains to try to get down to the village. So I get down, I get to the path, the light rail comes right away, get to the path, get on it. Man, I get on the path train, and this is several stops. And, and I'm looking at my watch, Bryce. I've taken the, that path many, many times, right, into the city. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to make it to the office by, I think it was, say, 7 o'clock or right. whatever time. I was, I was like, there's no way I'm going to make it in time. Man, I get on the train, and they say, this next train is going express. Our next stop is 8th Street. I was like, oh, my God. Yes, word up. So it was just the next stop was going to be 8th Street. Now, that's literally the only way I could have possibly made it. Skip all those other stops, Christopher Street and some other places, 8th Street, get off. Now I got I to gotta run through Washington Square Park, find the building, and get up the stairs and, and put my application on the pile. So I'm running. The rain finally starts. As I'm running through Washington Square Park, it's literally like a movie. So I'm running through Washington Square Park. I get into the building, go upstairs. Thank God, I'm out of breath. I wasn't in shape then. I'm out of breath. <laughs> open. I wasn't playing ball like that, right? I definitely wasn't working out back then. <laughs> and I open. I open it. The door is still open. Thank God. Was well, yeah. The door wow. was still open. 
man, and I see this huge pile of applications in the basket. And it was like, here, man, and I'll put it right <laughs> let me add on mine top. to the pile. Yes, I said, let me put mine on the pile. And I just had to sit down because I was really out of breath. And there was a chair there. <clears throat> so I sit down and I'm just breathing hard. I'm just like, thank you, God. Ooh, okay. It's in the pile. It's going to be okay. And then out from the back, Dr. Moore. Dr. Hi. Moore. Did you just put your application? I'm the director of the music business program. How about that? That's the first time I ever met her. First time and, you ever met her. And then we talk and I'm just like, it's going to be okay. And then I get, I get accepted. I get accepted. And then I became a full-time student. I left the job, of course. And it was important for me to be a full-time student. I, yes. I didn't grow up with money at all. But I did have the luxury of never having to work while in school. This is mm-hmm. back at FAMU. You know, I would work hard over the summers, save as much money as I could between the grants and scholarships that I got, live off of that. And, you know, I just wanted to be a full-time student and have that experience as well at NYU. So I, was, I moved into Brooklyn full-time, and I was a student from there on, and it, and it took off from there, man. So that's a long, long story, but y'all needed to know every detail about how I found out about NYU and how I got here. We needed all of that story. <laughs> we needed all of that story. That's that how story it happened. in and of itself is like a part one podcast <laughs> right there. <laughs> no, bro, that is, that is just such an amazing journey <laughs> to the program. And, and I think even with the uniqueness of your story, it's very relatable. When I've yes. talked to other people in their journey to the program, particularly them coming more from, I'll put in quotes, the corporate world, mm-hmm. having to talk to their parents about, oh, I, I was starting to be a doctor. You, now I need to pivot yes. to this program. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they're I like, what? I love hearing how that went. But yes. it's like there's all of these things that bind us together that are so similar, but still very unique to your specific journey so and you no, know thank you for sharing that you're very welcome and thank you for giving me those examples like that because what you also reminded me of it are there were naysayers along the way there were right. there were people who were like wait what are you doing you already got an mba right, you already worked at procter MBA. and gamble you're at yeah. church and dwight because even when i was about to leave there were they were already preparing me to be promoted mm. to the next level up to be brand manager of the entire dental care line and so at this point i had no student loans from fam Mm -hmm. i had i had no car payment and i'm telling you i keep i'm gonna keep saying this maybe it's the titles i'm not making this up they were i don't even know how this was going to happen i think because i was in a new building and they were trying to get people to stay and not move out oh yeah you even kind of referenced it a lot of people hadn't done the jersey city thing yet so i was i was early in on that so i think they were also trying to keep people from leaving my rent was going to drop 50%. This never happens, people, except for like maybe the pandemic. Wow. This never happens. So think about it. I'm about to get promoted. I have no debt whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Young man, about to get promoted, no student loans, and they're also going to drop my rent right. 50%. Wow. So I was really at a crossroads like, Cause I even thought about it. Like, this is a, something people may not know, but you can defer your enrollment for your acceptance for a year and defer your enrollment for a year when you get accepted. Oh, it's like, okay. Oh yeah. So you get accepted. You can say, well, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna go to the next year. You can do that. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So I was even starting to think, well, do, I'm a, well maybe I defer. And then I just stack up money for a year. And then I was like, no, how bad do you want it? You can't put your life on hold mm. for a year for money. And who knows mm. what could happen in that year? I got to live who right knows? now. Who knows? God is calling me to do this right now. Everything was aligned right. for it to happen right now. It's the power of now. So I had to embrace the right now. So I left money on the table to, I left no debt to take on debt. You know, I, I had to pay yeah. my own way through NYU. Yeah. You know? but, like you had to go, but you had to go do it to step into or start that journey, step into purpose. And That's that right. Is super important. I mean, yeah, bro, the, just the, your whole pathway to get there. And, and it kind of leads me into the second question as we get more into the minutia of this. So you talked about how you got to, you know, Dr. Moore said, oh, since you got the MBA, you don't have to mm -hmm. take certain classes. And right. based on the experiences, the real world experience that you already have, okay, so you yes. step into the program and now you're in it. You're like, okay, boom, right. gotta take these classes, gotta learn right. about this fun, mm -hmm. unique business that's the music business. Right. What what was your favorite class from the program Ooh. and why? Because you're coming with uh -huh. a very different perspective now that you've had this real world experience at these major companies <laughs> right. where you were successful. Right. So I'm sure you step in, you're like, okay, I don't have to take these business classes, but what I'm gonna learn here and what, how am I gonna get into these music classes and learn that? So what was your favorite class and why was it? So I had a few. But one that I just fell in love with in the beginning was the history of recorded music. Oh, oh my gosh. Interesting. I love that class. I, I get really into understanding how industries and things evolved from where they started and really just getting to that, into that history, you know, that, that one was really exciting for me. I would say that was, that's one A, one B, one A, probably a tie, is the international music class, or in, I think it was officially called international music marketing. And it was a class that you can take in that in-between semester between the fall and the spring. And Bryce, I don't know if they still had this class when you did it or if you did the class, but Dr. Moore taught a class in London. And you can go over to London yes, for yes, a month. I didn't know that, yep. And I, and I took that class, man. And that experience was, I would say life altering oh, Wow! because that was my first time in London. Did you rock the British accent while you were over there? I That's can't want to know. I'm my British accent is trash. So like <laughs> I can only talk like I talk, like whatever I even try to, it, even when I try it by myself, I'm like, this is a terrible, this is terrible. Look. So, yeah. So I no just, British accent when you went no over there. No British go. accent whatsoever. <laughs> So I'm over there, man, and I'm and it's awesome because my girlfriend at the time came like so we can't we went a little early. So it's a three week class, but I went early and we did New Year's there, watch Big Ben countdown. So I invited my girlfriend to come. She invited her mom, I invited my mom, my mom's first time out of the country. So we go wow. and just having that experience together. And then, you know, there's a point where they leave. And then I was there by myself, you know, other students there. But really, I was, you know, I was there by myself. And having that experience, plus taking courses, you know, that a course during the day, and then just kind of living and navigating a city and a country 
that wasn't my home turf, my homeland, was just such an amazing experience overall. I would say that's the other class too, because that whole experience was just amazing. I think about it probably every time I go to London. I'm blessed enough to get to London pretty often now. I I do some advisory work for Burberry, and now Mm. AI DJ has launched in the UK and, and Ireland. So I was over there just not even, I think maybe two months ago, you know, for that launch. So I get there pretty often, but I always think about the first time I went and that I went there with NYU and you're taking it at NYU's campus in London, which is so dope. So like having that experience, Bryce was just really dope. And then I love Dr. Moore. And then we went on different field trips, if you will. Like we went to concerts in London. So I, I first heard of Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings in London before mm. they blew up. And this was before they blew up in the States. They they were already happening over there. So right. I, I have pictures of me being at a show there in London, seeing her perform way back then. Like, so just stuff like that, man, and having that experience together, going to pubs. I don't even drink, but just being in that, in that vibe and being at arena, I have this great picture with me and Dr. Moore in a pub. It was just something I'll never forget. So I would say those two classes above anything, but I loved any of the core music business classes, man, the publicity class. I liked a lot, just even just things like thinking about how pictures are manipulated in the sense of not, I'm not even talking about changing an actual picture, the content of the picture. And especially even now what's happening with AI and manufactured pictures and stuff. I'm talking about the context of a picture. Like they might've caught somebody mid sentence with a funny face. Then they put that picture over a headline when somebody's having some problems, right. it's like they, and they're trying to make it seem like that picture is reflective of what their headline is of like course. getting hip to things like that, learning to write a bio and things like that. I thought it was right. just really, really cool, man. So it just took me into another place of being a student of music and recorded music and, and the modern music industry. Man, that's great. And it's funny because I really enjoyed a lot of, you already had kind of that MBA class background. Yeah. I so got, what were yours? We both did the masters. Oh, I did the, I, I did all of the, um, all of the Stern electives that you had. And that actually ended oh, up yeah. being my favorite class, which was conflict um, and negotiation. Oh, that's a good great one. course. That course was amazing. And I can't remember the name of the professor, but I do remember he was great at it and, and, and just gave me a lot of interesting gems. So I love the music business That's course, a but good one. that conflict and negotiation course, just that hit me a little different. And I really, that was probably my favorite class from. What from was it specifically about that one? I think it was the way that he got into the, the nitty gritty of getting a deal done. And, and also the conclusion that mm-hmm. he came to after giving us all of these little tips, um, which even working in sales now still helped me to, the de- to this day, but really started my journey of thinking about how sponsorship and partnership really should work and how those yeah. things should work together. Right. And how you should be thinking of what serves the partner to get to a mutual place where you can have a good deal. Mm-hmm. I think while some people may not think of deal making in that way, I've always thought of it that way. So it really helped me right. frame things a certain way. But at the end of it, he dropped this on me and I'll Ooh. never forget. 
he said, all right, so what's, what should be your one main takeaway from this program or from this course? Mm -hmm. Don't negotiate. Ooh. And I was like, what does he mean? And he explained, he said, if you don't have to negotiate, and two parties can come to an agreement without having to go through the process of negotiating, then you both win. Oh, I like that. That's and I was good. like, yes. That's like, good. If you can do deals where there is real alignment to the point where you don't have to negotiate mm -hmm. and don't come to come to the table, say, okay, we both want this. We both can agree on this. Let's get the deal done. If right. you can do that, which is rare. Yes. If you can do that though, that's the goal. That is a good be. one. It's so funny that you that you mentioned, and I don't want to jump ahead, but you know, a lot of my work is, you know, my my official executive title at Spotify is head of cultural partnerships, right. and it's really about making sure Spotify is in the right places culturally, and we're working with the right companies. They're working with us, coming to a win win. And my approach to a partnership has been exactly that. It's never negotiating. It's there's this mutually beneficial. Yes relationship that we can have where everybody wins you win spotify wins but most importantly spotify's users and listeners win so it's never this weird negotiate you know negotiating process it's just we just say okay this is what we want to do we're going to do this you're going to do that great and then we make it official and we yeah. move forward that's how it's always been with my partnerships and then even with my work as the AI DJ, the actual voice of Spotify, man, you know, I had to enter into a separate talent contract for that. So mm -hmm. even entering into that, it was just a lot of that mindset. Now, I'll be honest, we did have to negotiate some things with that one. But, <laughs> but we knew up front, though, the word that was used, though, when I was approached about the project, and they didn't approach anybody else with it, is this is a partnership between UX and Spotify. And that felt so good, Bryce, like knowing right. that up front, knowing that we're going to work it out. Like, and, and, and to be, you know, a bit specific, why we had to negotiate some things in this instance, because AI is so new, it's changing every right. day, you know, right. like the, the pace in which is changing, and then working with AI as talent, and, you know, my name, image, likeness, like the product is based on me. That's my personality. That's my name. You know, like I introduce myself. Hey, my name is Xavier. My friends call me X. And from this moment on, be your own personal DJ on Spotify. Right, like yeah. that's mm -hmm. literally me you're talking about. <laughs> yes. So you know what I mean? So it's like it's being one with the product. So it's just a lot of different details that had not ever been put into a contract because this is the first time this has been done in the history of the world. You know, so it's the world's first wow. AI DJ. So it's just some different things we had to negotiate but it's funny that he said that to you because it's so very true it's about partnership and they always said to me up front and even this you know as an employee this part you know it's, it's a bit more than just being an employee not just but more than being an employee right. no matter like whatever stature I, i've had at the company for a while this is a different this is a different ball game it's a partnership between me and the company knowing that up front made it feel completely different. Yeah. And it's like, we'll work out the details, which we did, obviously. Yeah. And then, you know, we'll get to this place now. So that's that's a gem he dropped on you. Right, yeah, he really did. Because if you understand your non, like, obviously you gotta come to the table, understand what are your non-negotiables? What are the things, yeah, in any situation where you have mm -hmm. to say no. But if you understand those things, 
he talked about the transparency of standing in that truth and saying, okay, look, in order for me to feel comfortable with this, this is what I need. And he right. approached deal-making and negotiating conflict from that piece. And those right. are things that I really, I took away from that. So yeah. I guess, well, I'm, I'm interested to ask you this because sure. you have so much experience and mm -hmm. now you've gone through the program and, and you have these courses, mm -hmm. but if you had to pick one main takeaway you got from the program, what would you say it would be? Like if I had to pin you down, mm, okay, all this kind of knowledge and everything yeah. that they're taking from it and said, what would be the main takeaway, X? What would it be from your perspective? The main takeaway is that I, you, all of us has something that the music industry needs. Oh, I like that. Say and more it, about that. We have to bring it to the industry. And this is what I now, whenever I go back and speak to a class, I went and spoke to Larry Miller's guy. Shout out to Larry Miller. Shout out really, to Larry. Really great guy. Yes. I went great and spoke guy. to his class. I think it was maybe his last class of the semester this past spring, just a couple months ago. And one thing I said is, hey, y'all, we need y'all. The industry needs y'all. We won't have a perspective that you have if you don't come into the industry and you don't bring it. And that's true of me, everything that I've brought to the industry, I just tried to bring me. That's the thing that the industry needs. How is the industry going to have the perspective of a person who came from Daytona Beach, has been a Brooklyn Knight half his life, that worked in CPG before I even touched the music industry, but then right. brought in a lot of that marketing knowledge, then worked for all these labels, hip hop head, but also listen to rock and all these other genres you know what i mean christian do you know all the things that make me me i gotta bring all that to the table that's also talent that's also a host i gotta bring all that to the table or the industry won't have it and 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 coming out of the program feeling that way and dr moore is the one who instilled that mindset into me she just always would tell me that i have something that the industry needs and i just that would just make me not try to conform to the trappings of the industry, not conform to how other people move around in this business. I mean, this is a hard business. This is entertainment. Holly yeah. weird is a real thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's yeah. just weird business. You know what I mean? Yeah. But me just being me and being comfortable in my own skin is the thing ironically that makes me stand out. You know, right. the way my voice sounds now is, my you know one of my hallmarks my personality that's something people know me like millions of people listen to this every day now i was obviously on this path way before i was ai dj and all of these different things but bryce that was just my approach the whole time like my point of view my perspective the way i see the world the industry needs that now what the program is giving you is a foundation of learning in which to build on so also always be a student of the game be a student of what's going on on a macro level not just in your genre in your world in the function that you're that you want to work in in the industry what is it about you that you can bring to it then match that up with what's happening on a macro level and analyze right. it and really think about it because this is the thing also in um, on unpacking this answer for you Bryce you know we got to do a colloquy in a program, in a graduate program. And essentially, right. for those who haven't done a program that's listening to this, it's basically basically like, it's essentially like a thesis. Right. Mm -hmm. 
on on a topic in the, in the music industry. You got to pitch the topic, and it has to be agreed upon, and then you go and, and you do it. Now, the topic I chose was the sophomore slump, and you know that's the concept of yeah. somebody comes out and has a successful album or song, but then their follow up effort not as successful. You know, and this also happens in sports, right? You have a good rookie season, yes, and then mm-hmm. the next season, and then I wanted to really get into the factors. Now, this is the thing. They didn't have research on this. They didn't have white papers on this or people who had explored this thing. So I had to do interviews going back to that Procter and Gamble experience interviewing. So I interviewed several people Mm -hmm. in the business who have been around for a while, different A&Rs. I was able to interview Diddy because I was interning at Bad Boy at the time. So I was able to interview Diddy and he agreed to do it. And, and, and Matt oh, Penfield, wow. and you'll remember that name from yeah. MTV's Headbangers Ball. He was yep. an A&R mm-hmm. at Columbia. Mm-hmm. That was my last internship that I did. And I got access to him, and he gave me access. And he gave me so much knowledge, my goodness. So anyway, I explored the subject. But the reason I say this is there wasn't research that was already done on this. So if I really wanted to explore this, I had to go get it. And that just taught me, like, I may have to be the one to do it. Wow. Yeah. And that's I mean, been what I've leaned on my entire career. It may have to be me. Now, it may have to be me. It has to be me. Yeah, it has to be you. You've got to bring your unique perspective and your unique talent to the space that you're in. And that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's no, right. that's that's a very profound answer, and I love that. I mean, it Thank makes you, bro. it makes a lot of sense. So, if it's not there, invent it. Invent it. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, it's funny. So, this is actually a good transition as we move away from a little bit of the focus on the program to, to mm-hmm. talk about kind of that first job. Yeah, the program in and of itself, and and you're already kind of doing this even before you got to the program. This mm-hmm. almost this entrepreneurial mindset of (laughs) having a North star, a purpose that's been given to you and -hmm. you fleshing out the steps and walking out the steps Mm -hmm. to, to be a part of that journey, to see it through. And I believe everyone who's pursuing the program or pursuing things in the music business has to have some of this. So have to have to. So when you graduate, Mm-hmm. What was your first job when you graduated from the program? What was that first? Because you've talked some about the internship piece. Mm-hmm. But what was that first full-time job now coming out of the program and moving into pursuing things in the music business? So I had interned with Bad Boy for a while in the you know while I was in the music business program. And now I'm in that last semester. This is the semester that was cut off because I had an MBA. So all I was doing was working on my colloquy. And then I was, I got an internship at Columbia that came through the music business program. It was, it was Columbia's A&R war room. So every week, I, cause I wanted to explore not just marketing, but I wanted to explore A&R, you know, finding talent and, you know, getting act signed and seeing if that was the route I wanted to go. So I was doing that. And that's how I got into contact with Matt Penfield for my colloquy. But bad boy also asked me to work at bad boy part-time while I finished up the program. Interesting. Okay. So I'm working part-time in the program. I'm working on my colloquy and I'm interning at Columbia in their A&R war room. And the way that worked is every week we would bring in an act and pitch the act one or two acts 
play a song in a meeting with the ARs and basically pitch this is why uh Columbia should sign this act. Mm. And that was a great experience. So John yeah. Legend got signed through the AR War Room. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Oh, nice. John Legend got signed through the AR War Room. Me and another guy brought him in on the same day in terms of the music, but he mentioned it first, so he took the lead on it. Shout out to him. And I actually got a check, like a signing bonus check. Wasn't that much. They just tossed me a little crumbs, to be honest with you. Probably, right. I think he probably paid a cell phone bill at most. And maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe got me a Metro card. At, at that. I don't think it was a monthly either, but that's how much they gave me. <laughs> right. But that was a great experience to have. But remember I mentioned I interviewed Diddy for my colloquy as well? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I was at Bad Boy. You know, I had now interned there for probably nine months or so stepped away they called me went back there i'm working there part-time and i asked the person i interned for and i saw diddy and i was in meetings with him so he knew who i was but he didn't know me well like that not well enough for me to go directly to him to ask him if he'd be willing to let me interview him for and i was i would just say thesis i you know i didn't want to explain to everybody what a colloquy was i had never heard the word colloquy that I got to NYU, by the way, you learn something new. <laughs> you go to these programs. Something new, yep. So I would say, you know, for my thesis, blah, 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 blah. She made it happen. Shout out to Tracy Waples, legend in the game. She's actually mm -hmm. depicted in season two of Wu-Tang and American Saga. So if you watch season two, Lala Anthony depicts Tracy Waples. Oh, nice. So she was the first person I ever interned for oh, in wow. the music industry. She did a lot of marketing campaigns. Shout for, out to Tracy. Shout out to Tracy, legend in the game, Wu-Tang and Method Man and Red Man and Kanye later and Diddy and all of that. So I interned for her. So I asked her, she made it happen. So I'm interviewing Diddy backstage at Broadway. He was doing a Raisin in the Sun back then with Felicia Rashad and Audra McDonald and Sanaa Lathan, directed by Kenny Leon. So I'm backstage at Broadway. It's, it's completely surreal. And he's literally getting ready to take the stage. Now, he's playing the part that was portrayed by Sidney Poitier. Wow. You know what I mean? And he's yeah. trying his hand at Broadway. Mm -hmm. He did pretty good. I'll, I'll give yeah. him He did a really good job. Audrey McDonald won in a Tony Award for the, her role in it. Felicia Rashad made history. She won a Tony Award for for the role so this was this was like historic right so this is before the tonys came though this was maybe even still in previews i'm interviewing him i'm in his dressing room while they're dressing him to take the stage in a matter wow. of minutes so i'm back there in my head i'm like this is this unreal. is wild <laughs> this is wild i have our digital recorder there and i'm recording him and i'm asking him about the sophomore slump and he's just being so candid because think about it, he had an album, you know, that had all about the Benjamins on it and all right. these major hits. And then his his next album didn't do so well. Right. So he even talked about so. experiencing the sophomore slump himself. So oh, it was wow. just a very interesting conversation. And I remember I was maybe two, three weeks from, from graduating from NYU. And this was one of the cool things. I had been selected to be the valedictory speaker so people were making a big deal out of it and it was like nyu was like 
campus newsletter or magazine or newspaper had a did a cover story on me so they had that circulating at bad boy so people were really proud of me and excited that i'm gonna you know be taking a stage in madison square garden and all of this stuff so at the end of it and he had heard about this at the end of the interview he asked me he said so what are you doing when you graduate now tracy had said to me i want to make you a product manager when you graduate at bad boy i'm like perfect Right. So when he said, what are you going to do when you graduate? I said, well, hopefully working for you. And I meant it like, you know, working for bad boy as a product manager, you know, your company, your company, your company, hopefully working for you. But when I said that he was looking in the mirror because they were, you know, putting makeup on him and stuff like that. So he's looking at me through the mirror and he's looking at me and he's just kind of like, he just has this look like, okay, all right. And then he says, well, something close to me is opening up. I want you to go for it. And I said, oh, okay. I, I had no, man, I ain't know what he was talking about. So I'm like, <laughs> sure, right? So interview, dapped up. It was great. Great stuff on my paper. I remember I, Dr. Moore was like, wait, wait, you really got Diddy for your colloquy? Like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> right? Who is this guy, right? So colloquy turned out great. I go, I think how it worked, I went to Bad Boy on Tuesdays and Thursdays when I worked there part-time. So this is winding down because I'm graduating Mm -hmm. in just a couple of weeks. So I get to Bad Boy Tuesday morning, and I remember when I came in, got off the elevator, people are running up to me saying, hey, the head of HR is looking for you. And I'm like, and it's like urgent. And I'm like, hey, we've been trying to reach you. Now, it wasn't late or anything, but like, hey, we've been trying to call you. I was on the train, and anybody knows about the trains, it's hit or miss with cell phone service. Absolutely. Day. And especially back then, it was miss. You went into a black <laughs> yeah. hole. There was no hit. It was only there was, miss. It was only miss. Yeah. You went into a black hole for 30, 45 minutes to an hour, however long your commute is. So I came up, and I'm like, oh, I was on the train. What's up? And I was like, hey, Vashta wants to see you. That was the name of our head of HR. Lovely woman. Shout out to Vashta. So I go to her office. This this seemed like a 10-minute walk, even though it was probably a 30-second walk. And I'm like, am I in trouble? You know, I'm just thinking that to myself, just about how many – I'm telling you, at least three people came up to me from the time I walked in saying, hey, you need to go to her office right now. And I'm like, oh, man. And, you know, you've heard the stories, like, about Diddy, you know, having people fired over certain things that don't right. seem like much. And I'm starting to think, I'm like, did I do something wrong? Did, right. like maybe he, he thought about my answer, like, well, hopefully working for you. And maybe he thought that was flipping or maybe too right. forward right. or, too mm-hmm. yeah, you know what I mean? And maybe he realized he didn't like that and just wanted to like, hey, get this guy out of here. I, that's, I thought I was getting fired, long story short. Right. So I'm like, oh, I'm about to, oh, I think I'm about to get fired. So I get to her office. Man, I walk in the door. First thing she says to me is, "Hey, X, close the door." I'm like, "Oh, I'm about to get, I'm about to get let go." go. <laughs> yeah, here we, <laughs> yes, here we go. So I'm closing the door slow, very slowly, and I'm just, and I have my back to her as I'm closing the door, just get my mind right. Like, let me just get my fix my face. All right, just keep it cool. It's been a good ride. It's all right. You about to graduate? <laughs> we will figure it out. This, this is literally what's going right, through my right. head. Mm-hmm close the door. I sit down. She says, XO, 
you you were with Diddy Friday, right? And we're interviewing. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, here we go. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I was interviewing him for my paper. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Diddy's been looking for somebody, you know, all these years, somebody that can be a protege to him, somebody that he can teach the business firsthand and eventually pass the company on to to lead. And I'm just sitting there like, why is she telling me this? <laughs> like, like this is a weird way to like, you know, it's a weird setup for letting somebody go. I'm literally, that's literally what's in my mind, but I'm just like, you know, just keeping cool, sitting there, just nodding like, yeah, okay. And she said, and he feels that person is you. Do you wow. want to do it? And I was like, wow. inside, I was like, what? Of course. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, well, I have some questions. You know, I remember I'm seasoned. I had been in the right. yard. <laughs> right. You know, worked a little bit. So I knew I was going to say, yeah, but I was like, of course. You had to ask some questions or whatever. So long story short, man. He asked me to be his personal assistant and protege. That was my job coming out of NYU. I had it before I graduated. So I had a couple of weeks where I knew that's what I was going to be doing. And everybody in the program was just really excited. And then I'm the valedictory speaker, valedictorian, all that. And it just, it's just, it was just an amazing, exciting time. So I came out of the program and, and maybe a week later I was with him like 20 hours a day, seven days a week, man. My day started waking him up in the morning and it ended when he got into bed at night. A little awkward, but that's the truth. That's, <laughs> that's, yes, that's yes. you know what I mean? So I've, that's, that's I've, what um, it was. Yeah, it's funny because I've heard, I've heard little <laughs> stories of what it's like to be in that role with Diddy. And yeah. yeah, I mean, listen, he's a high level person. So that's right. That's right. Yeah, that comes with unique things that you have to do. That's right. And I learned, yeah. I learned a lot and I was exposed to a lot. And it's funny, I reflect on things that I learned back then. You learn, it's like what I said early in the interview. It's not just what you like, but it's also learning what you don't like. So it's also learning what to do, also learning what not to do. So just being in that environment, observing everything that I saw, I didn't learn of what to do. Some things I said, I'm not going to do it that way. If I'm in that situation, that's not how I want to move. That's not how I want to talk to people. That's not how I want to relate to people. And then in some other instances, oh, that's what's up. Okay. That's something to learn. So I carried a little notepad in my back pocket when I was his personal assistant. And I wrote down little gems when it was just me and him. It was always a lot of people around security, another personal assistant. He had two executive assistants as well. So it was always people around different executives, you know, and other celebrities and family and this and that. But when it would just be me and him, those were my favorite times during that period. And he wow. would just drop these gems. And, he, and I knew that gym was just for me. Mm-hmm. And I would just write, I would pull out the notepad and I'd write it down. And he gave me some good ones, man. And that was the most meaningful of that time together. And mm. it was great. So that was my first job at NYU, man. And and, and it went, and it came through being at the NYU program. Like that's right. the only way it happened because I got the bad boy internship through a fellow student in the program who entered the program when I came in. I just happened to be, and I put happened in quotes, y'all. I know it's, I know it because I know it wasn't happenstance, happenstance. Right, exactly. I would just happened to be checking my NYU email when the email came through. So I was the first to respond to it. And all I said was internship at well-known record label. If you're interested, hit me up. 
and I just happened to be checking my email, and I literally saw when it popped into my inbox. So I replied, I'm interested. And then he didn't say the company name or anything. Then after I said I was interested, he said, hey, it's Bad Boy. That's what led to me getting that internship and everything wow. unfolded from there. Wow. Wow. Real quick, real quick. Can uh -huh. you drop one of Diddy's gems that he gave you on us? Let's see. Oh, let's see. Oh, they're never just going to give you. One that comes to mind. Yeah, this is one right here. They're never just going to give you the bag. You got to, they got to believe you, believe in you. They got to love you. They're never mm. just going to hand it to you. They're never just going to hand it to you. They're never just going to hand it to you. So basically, mm. you have to stand out so much. You have to bring so much value to it that they got to want to hand it to you. Mm. And I always remembered that. You know what's interesting? Mm -hmm. It's so funny he would say that to you. But in a sense, mm -hmm. when, when you were at the program, mm -hmm. that was actually formed in you when you said your, your takeaway, which was when you bring your unique thing Ooh, that you're meant yeah. to do, that's a big part of people not just handing it to you. Yes. You're carving out the space that you're carving out the space that facilitates you being able to get the bag and the other things because you're being your unique self. Yes, man, man, go on and connect those dots. Yes, bro. Yeah. Like that's literally what that is. And it just it's just amazing how these things connect, man. And and that's that was the biggest one. Right. That's interesting. That was the biggest one that I that I took away from him that he shared with me, man. And, sh and shout out to Diddy, man. Like, yeah, shout out, shout out to Diddy. I mean, that's a, that's a living legend right there. Yeah, living, living legend in the, in the game from music, entrepreneurship, the whole nine. Yeah. Shout out the to whole Diddy. nine, man. Nothing like, but truly. respect for him. Yeah. Nothing but respect. Nothing but love for that brother. Yeah. Man. All right. So, I mean, listen, you got probably <laughs> the dopest first job anyone's ever gotten. <laughs> you know, I'm at that point coming out of the program. So, Okay, that's the first job. Uh -huh. You're working with Diddy. Uh -huh. Give us just the, I mean, obviously you can't get into, I get every single detail. Yeah, I can give you that bridge. give us the journey from, you got the first job. How mm -hmm. did we get here to, to Spotify? Okay, and I I'll mean, give you the abridged version. I, we would love to just understand a little bit about how that journey went that got you to where you are right now. Yeah, so... I ended up, and I'm gonna give you all the abridged version because you know I know I spent so much time on the early part, so I give you the abridged part of how I got to Spotify. So here we go. I'm gonna do it as fast as I can without hopping over anything. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely don't want to rush you because okay. I just know there's like a lot of exactly so it's true. In the now, you could give us kind of that version where it's like okay, with this job, and then how you actually landed at Spotify. Okay, I got you. Yeah, happy to do that. Okay, so here we go. So. I quit as his personal assistant. I quit as his personal assistant because some of the questions that I asked coming in, I was really asking when I didn't say yes right away. I said, I don't want this to skew where it's too much on a personal side. It's like, hey, man, I'm going to have two master's degrees. Not that I'm better than anybody, but I've already worked and right. I've worked in business. So I need, I want to focus right. on the business and I want to learn the business. Now I know being in this role as your personal assistant, of course there are things I'm going to have to do. Of course. You know, to fulfill that, the job. That, that you had no problem doing. Absolutely. No problem doing whatsoever, Bryce. Of course. But the thing was, I, so I talked to him about that. 
So it's getting a little too personal. For example, and this is what I mean. Like it was some business meetings where I could have just easily been in a room where he had me sitting outside with security. Wait, hold on, man. Right. Why am I not in the room? Right, you're not in the room. Right. I'm literally mm-hmm. just sitting here for an hour and a half mm-hmm. doing nothing. Doing nothing, yeah. Outside the door. So, right. then, you know, I bring it up. You know, I speak up for myself and I'm, you know, hey, this is what we talked about. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Then a few weeks go by, a few weeks go by, and there's more of the same. It's more of the same. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just like, you know what? That means this isn't changing. And this was several conversations, one, just one. Of course. Or of course. two. Right. And then I, so I stepped away from it. So I, I mm. quit. I mm. quit. I, I was thinking too, when you said you quit, I'm like that, which is also a very bold move in that situation. Yes. <laughs> Remember y'all what he offered me. I was just a personal assistant. I was his protege in training to take over a bad boy. Right. And I mean, just with the name alone and the person you're yes. dealing with, I mean, just a ditty. People associate this, oh, this could be, you know, opportunity of a lifetime. That's right. And it is to a point, but what did we talk mm-hmm. about before? Conflict and negotiation. What are your non-negotiables? How do that's you right. To, how do you stick to them? So, that's yeah. exactly it. That's exactly it. Right. Everything you just said. So for me, I was just like, you know what? This isn't working for me. And this isn't living up to what we talked about and what I need for this to work for me. So I so I said, this is time for me to time for me to go. And I quit. And it's the first time in my life I've ever done this. Oh I wow. Quit without having another job. Wow. And that's also knowing that those NYU student loans will go kick in any <laughs> minute. But you get what, what six right. months? You get six yeah. months. Because, mm-hmm. buddy, there, that, that train don't stop and it ain't never late. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, you got six months. I'm sweating. So I quit, no job. The next job, next thing that ends up happening, this is a few months down the line now. And what was beautiful about the thing is, but I didn't know what would come out of it is being able to decompress. And I had time to decompress because I, I never right. stopped working. Right, I, right, right. You know, from right. high because school. Not, to have, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that role, like you said, 20 hours a, 20 hours a day, you basically on call. So Yes. Yeah, yeah it's really yeah. 24-7. Of course, of course. Because four hours I got to myself, yeah. I got to yeah. get home, I got to yeah. shower, sleep, eat, yep. get up, shower, sleep, you know, shower, eat, yeah. get ready, and go all the way back. You're not really yeah. home. And I'm getting hit up in the meantime. Oh, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. And, 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 just for the listeners, the, and just for the listeners, the context of this, because I've heard this, you can correct me, X. This yeah, is please. literally, if Diddy, you know, at 4 a.m. has got mm-hmm. XYZ, he's calling you, you got to be up and ready to go. Oh, That's just what it no is. question about it. There were there yeah. were times where he would say, I want to go to my, my house in Miami today. We'd, we'd hop on a private jet, Teterboro in New yep. Jersey, and go. And I would go with the clothes on my back and have <laughs> right, to absolutely. buy clothes. And, and I'm talking about buy underwear, toiletries once absolutely. I got to Miami. Absolutely. This happened multiple times. Yeah, right? absolutely. absolutely. So this, this, is, this is what it looks like in practice. So this, that's exactly absolutely. right. So thank you for setting that stage. So I quit. Yeah. But a few months down the line, they reached out to me. Actually, it was almost about a year later. They reached out to me and they said, hey, we need some help in digital marketing. Not some help. We need your help, actually. Is what it was. Your help. Yeah, right. It wasn't some help. We need your help. We, we, can't, we don't have much to pay you, but we really need you. We need your mind. Mm. We need you. I said, I'll do it. Oh, so excellent. came back, went back, and wasn't getting paid much at all, but... I was there in the right capacity. I knew the money would come. 
I was there in the right capacity, thinking strategically, digital marketing programs, digital marketing strategy for our artists. At the time, we were putting out this album, Biggie Duets. So it was like right. Notorious B.I.G. Then they paired them up with like different artists. So like one dope song has um, bo- like Bone Thugs on it. Like Crazy Bone is on one. Like it's just some some really dope duets they did with Biggie. So the fact that I got to do and lead the digital marketing for a Biggie album was incredible. And I did some really cool, innovative, you know, marketing, digital marketing things that hadn't been done before. We did this whole, what, ooh, watch how this connects. I don't think I thought about this before, Bryce. You remember how I said one of my two favorite classes was the history of recorded music and that I'm into the history of things? Yes. What I did for that was I made a timeline and we made a digital timeline website of Biggie's life. And it had all these landmarks and all these big things that happened in his career, all these milestones that happened along the way. So Mary's Faith Evans, you know, him living on, like we went out and did a photo shoot, like this is the building he lived in on St. James Place between Fulton and, oh, and wow. Gates. Like, like we really did the thing, right? And it was just like a place where you had this treasure trove of like, you know, he was born this day, died that day, but you know, Ready to Die came out on this day, went gold this day, this single was released this day. So it was really like a really innovative campaign that people got really into. So that launched into me like, they were like, well, can you lead this? So so basically I was the digital marketing director just without the money. Right, right. But it was all about the opportunity. So I'm there, I'm doing that. It's going really well. Now, while I'm there, Bad Boy was then picked up by Atlantic for distribution. So I would be at Atlantic once a week. Now this is, oh, this is, this is a very key thing because this is, this is years ago now. This is a very key thing, Bryce. I don't even know where I got this idea from, but because they couldn't pay me a lot of money, I said, I'll only come back on one condition. And they were like, what's that? I said, I have to work from home most of the time. I prom- See, working from home <laughs> is a regular concept now. Right, like, right. We've never done that before. This is a long time right. ago, y'all. Nobody was working from home. But I was like, man, if y'all ain't really going to be paying me, I don't need to be in the office you need every to be day. In the office. Yep. Yes. So I would go yes. in for a half day for a big meeting, one day a half day for a big meeting at Atlantic the other day. The rest of the time right. I work from home. And that's when I was like, this working from home thing, that's the way to go. That's the, that's the way for me. So I know, I've known that's been the way for me since 2005. That's, Absolutely. How, that's where we're going with this, 2005. Yeah. So they said, cool, yeah, we never done it before, but it makes sense for us. That's cool. So did that and worked on some other, you know, other albums that we put out at the time. Now, because I was Atlantic, this is why I brought that up. I was now in meetings with Julie Greenwald, who's still mm-hmm. yes. co-CEO of Atlantic. Of course. Kevin Lyles was in the rooms then and Kaiser yes. and all that, you know, all those names. They were all Shout out to all of them. Shout out to all of them. Legends, legends in the, game. In the music business. Yep. Craig Coleman. They're all still there, by the way. All still there, yep. All still there. So they, you know, so when it came around to the bad boy part of the meeting, Diddy was in the meeting, of course, and all the execs at Bad Boy. Now in this meeting, when it came to what we're doing marketing wise, that was my turn. So I'm in this meeting. I'm only a year out of NYU, but you add that to the Procter & Gamble experience, the Arm & Hammer experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm in there pitching, this is what we're doing on the digital front. 
for the artist and they would love it. They would clap. Oh my God, that's so innovative. That's dope. <laughs> so what ended up happening, yeah. Harv Pierre was in those meetings. Shout out to Harv Pierre. Shout out to Harv Pierre. Big supporter of me. Shout out to him. Y'all don't know where he is. Google him. So yeah, y'all better understand. <laughs> really better understand. Google him. Harv Pierre, H-A-R-V-E Pierre. Google him. So we would be in these meetings and they were like, who is this guy? <laughs> Who is this dude? So what ended up happening, Harv calls me one day, Bryce, and he's like, yo, X, I know we don't have a lot to pay you right now. You're killing it. We love you. Man, Atlantic wants to hire you away from us. Julie called me and Puff asked about you and if we can steal him away. And I said, and he's, this is what he said to me. He was like, mm-hmm. well, I want the best for X, and I know y'all can offer him more money than we have right now. So he was like, X, it's a good opportunity. If you want to do it, you know, you have, you know, you have our blessing. It won't be, you know, like bad feelings or anything like that. But if anything, Julie's assistant is going to call you. She wants to personally meet with you and meet you. I say, yeah, of course. So I go meet with her. I remember walking in the room, walking into her office and she says, so I hear you're some kind of genius valedictorian <laughs> 4.0 multiple masters. Who are you? Literally, she says this. She's eating a big old salad. She's saying this like stuff in her face with this salad as I'm walking <laughs> in. And she's like, who are you? And, I, you know, and you're like, like a fam you zone thing. Exactly. <laughs> like, thank you. So I, you know, I tell her or whatever. She was like, listen, man, we all think you are special. We think you're dope. We want you to come over to Atlantic. And I'm like, okay, so what would the role be? Now, this is the thing. You know, and I, I quote Jay's line, Jay-Z's line on this when he says, you know, first you come in the game to try to play you. That's some real stuff, y'all. If you've been in this game for a minute, and if you mm-hmm. haven't, you're going to learn this. This is true. Or if you even go to another spot, this is, this is the truth. But first you come in the game to try to play you. Because Atlantic was distributing Bad Boy, they had access to Bad Boy salary information. because I was making peanuts, they looked at my salary because they knew I was at the director level based on the work I was doing. But they were like, well, he's making this. Let's just offer him, you know, a little more than that, which wasn't good, but it was more than that. So they were like, he'd be happy to have that. And they were like, well, that's the coordinator level over here. So, yeah, he'll come in as a coordinator. He'll be happy to be here. Man, they had their head of marketing called me after that to work out the details. And when she told me that in the salary, I said, I'm sorry, but I have to respectfully decline. Respectfully decline. And she was like, I, I don't understand, X. And I was like, hey, yeah, just because I'm making this doesn't mean that's this is what I should be making. This is, yes. y'all know what level I'm at. Y'all came to me. Before Fat Joe said it, you were living it. Yes. Yesterday's price. It's not, not today's, today's price. price. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Don't right. think because I'm, you know what I mean? That I'm willing for this because I couldn't make that work right then. You know what I mean? I was sleeping mm-hmm. on, y'all, I, I slept on couches to get here. But that year I was sleeping on, shout out to Melissa, shout out to Angie. I was sleeping on their couches for a year to make mm-hmm. it. You wow. know what I mean? Wow. E- eating their meals, eating their groceries. Like they held me down. So that couldn't go on forever. That was just to carry me while I had the right opportunity. Now I need the right opportunity that's going to compensate me properly. So long story short, they tried to make it work. They were going to try and combine two coordinator positions and combine those salaries to pay me. But that would have been twice the work. That's not right either. 
Right. So mm-hmm. I, I respectfully declined. Oh, and they also wanted me to report to the person who was actually my counterpart at Atlantic, who was my counterpart to me at Bad, you know, me on the Bad Boy mm-hmm. side. And I just, and I was like, I won't do that. And there's no disrespect to that person. Right. You know what I mean? She's still doing her thing now, by the way. I, 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 don't, I don't want it to sound like it's anti so I won't say her name right now, but it's my people. But I respectfully said, no, I appreciate it. They were so confused. And mm-hmm. sometimes you have to be the one that got away. Right. Sometimes you got to be that. Yeah. And at, at different times of my career, I'm willing to be that. So I said, no. And look how this happened. Look at the look how the NYU universe aligned. Look look at God yet again. I'm at Bad Boy. Bad Boy's office at the time, Bryce, was on Broadway, 1440 Broadway, two blocks down and across the street from Universal Music Group. 17, I think it's 1770 Broadway. It's 1755, 1755 Broadway. Two blocks down and across the street. Mm-hmm. And because Bad Boy at the time, oh, this is this is good context for all of y'all too. At the time, going back to Bad Boy, this is the Making the Band era, MTV. So mm. back, I was around for the Making the Band era. You were around for that, yes. Yeah, yeah. I was around for I Want to Work for Diddy on VH1. I was on that show. So you will see me, if you even go back and Google it, you will see me in every episode. So like, that's the era I was at Bad Boy. So it was very visible. This was Diddy probably at the height of his popular, still a major celebrity, but like at the height of his, like the fandom and celebrity. So people even knew what the office looked like. People will stop outside the office just to take selfies. Right. So two blocks down across the street, it was the one day out of the week, but the second day, like half day out of the week that would be in the office. And I had to do something. I had to run an errand for some other thing that I was, that I was a part of that was unrelated to work. And I kept putting it off because I kept trying to finish this work at Bad Boy. And I was like, okay, I got to run across the street. It was a Radio Shack across the street. I had to pick up this piece, this thing from Radio Shack to connect two TVs, long story short. So I was like, I got to go to Radio Shack. It was directly across the street from Bad Boy. But Bryce, I needed to go to the ATM, grab some cash so I could get the receipt and get reimbursed. They were just going to give me the cash back. The bank that I bank at is at the corner, literally on the corner of the building, where Universal Music Group is to this day, wow. same same thing, and this is the corner of Fifty Sixth and Broadway. Walk up two blocks, cross the street. I go to the ATM. I'm standing on the corner. Now the Radio Shack is just two blocks down. I hear, "Yo, what's going on?" Tap on the shoulder. One of my homeboys. Shout out to Eric Petty. Eric Petty, who was in the music business program with me. Oh, Came shout out to Eric. Shout out to Eric for a while. So you know, shout out to Eric Petty. Yo, mm-hmm. yo, what up? So he was like, yo, what's going on? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm walking this way. I got to go to Radio Shack running errand. He's like, yo, I'm actually about to go catch a flight. I think he had to go to L.A. or something for work. So we're just walking a couple of blocks. We find out we're doing the same exact work. He's just doing it at UMG. I'm doing wow. it at Bad Boy. He said, hey, we just, we're making another position, the same position he was in. We need more people. It's growing. We need another person. You think you want to come over here? I said, yeah. He was like, cool. All right. I mean, literally, just the time that I just happened to be on that corner. Wow. He happened to be at that corner. He was on his way to the airport. He was just about to get a cab. Wow. Go to the airport. But I think he had to also stop at Radio Shack and pick up something, like a charger or something, before he got in the cab. 
And all wow. day I kept saying, I need to get the radio shack. I need to go now. But I, for some reason, and I'm, and I'm a person, Bryce, when I, when I have to do something, I usually just go and do it. But for whatever reason, I just kept delaying and delaying and delaying. But at the exact right. moment that I was on that corner, he was on the corner. I didn't even see him. Now, I'm 6'2", Eric's 6'7". <laughs> I ain't see him, but he yeah, saw Eric's me. Tall. <laughs> yeah, he's he's tall, and we played a lot of ball together at NYU. So like, and he was he was in London when we did the London class. So like, I know Eric, you know. So we walk, we find out we're doing the same exact work. They're doing another position at Universal Motown Republic, and he's just like, "Yo, you want to go for it?" Basically, like, "You want to come over here?" Is what he said. And I said, "Yeah, man." I went in, did an interview. wasn't even really an interview. I talked to the hiring manager at the time. Eric pops in. He called. He picked up the phone and called Eric over. I remember Eric walked in. He was like, "Eric, how's this guy?" And Eric is too cool for school. He was like, "Oh, he cool." And then <laughs> that was it. And I got the and offer. That's <laughs> and that's and Bad Boy was very supportive. And then literally, I was just across the street and two blocks down. But they were so happy for me, and I got compensated much better than that. What much Atlantic better. was talking right. about. So I went to Motown and Republic digital marketing manager. Six months later, they promoted me to director. A year later, they promoted me to senior director. So I did projects like I was Amy Winehouse's digital marketing manager. So oh, wow. I launched her wow. career on the digital side here in the US. So I did Amy Winehouse. I did Erica Badu. I was her product manager. So I ended up also being a product manager and doing traditional marketing as well. So I did Q-tip. I did Buster Rhymes and Ryan Leslie and just a lot of really cool projects and artists. And I did some really cool, innovative marketing campaigns that, you know, they wrote articles about. So it went really well. I was there four and a half years. Then I ended up at Epic. Epic stole me away. I went to Epic as senior marketing director and I launched Future's career. So I was Future's oh, first wow. product manager. Yeah, wow, man. There it was you like, go. They were like, they were like, there's this guy Future in Atlanta. <laughs> it's happening. And I was like, Future, his name is Future, man. That's gonna be hard mm -hmm. for like Google, like Google search results. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I remember I had to think about these things at They're the like, time. He's about to make it a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and I remember like picking out his first pictures and you know, coming up with the concept of the Pluto album cover shoot, which we did at Huntsville Space mm. Center. Like, so I, I, I put together all those concepts and, you know, he felt really comfortable with me and like in terms of expressing his creative ideas from a marketing standpoint, which laid the foundation of even how he does a lot of innovative marketing to this day. Right. So, so I was there doing that. And then I was there just a short time. I was only there 13 months. And then at the same time, and this was before I left Universal, I started getting asked to go on shows like on VH1 and being a pundit and right. being like, like talking about different, you know, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, remember I would go. Yeah, I would see you. I would yeah, see you. Remember you know, that? You'd be like, oh, see, I see you on TV, bro. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that came through. Shout out to Ayana, Ayana Roberts, fam, you alum, fellow Rattler. She put me on to that because she was she was a producer mm -hmm. at VH1. We went to fam together. She lived around the corner from me in Brooklyn. And one day we were riding to work together and we had the same route to work. She just had to get off the train one stop before me. And we we're just talking about work. And she was telling me what she was working on. And she said, the one thing we're missing is like an executive, somebody who can provide cultural context. They were working on their first ever big hip hop countdown show. You know, VH1 used to do a lot of those countdown shows. And this one was 
100 greatest hip-hop songs of the 90s. And she was like, because we're going so big, we got all the artists. It was like, wow. we got Diddy, we got this and this person, and they're all going to be in the show, but we just need somebody who can provide that context of what's going on culturally. And she was like, somebody like you. I just, I'm telling you, just like mm. Vashta <laughs> said that time when Puff said, you, tell, you know, somebody like you. He was looking for a protege, somebody like you. She was like, we need somebody right. like you. You think you would mm -hmm. do, I'm telling you, it was like, it was just cyclicality and wow. this repetition and would you wow, be willing to do it? Yes. So long story short, I started coming on BH1 and all that stuff. You remember that one producer saw, it, you know, other producers yes. saw it. They liked it. Other producers saw it like, oh, he should come on CNN and debate with these other pundits about this other thing. So it turned mm, into a yes. thing. <laughs> and then, you know, they yeah. would put my name on the screen, Xavier Jernigan, and then at the bottom, it would, it would say like record executive. I never loved that because I'm like, ah, I'm more than that. But <laughs> you know what I mean? You do the first one, you do the yeah. second one, they put up what they want to put up. Yes. Then they start asking you to come back with regularity. Then it turned into what do you want on the screen? And I remember that I had to tell them immediately. They called me on the spot. I was out and about and I had to answer immediately. And I was with my friend, Melissa, and I was like, I'm going to tell him pop culture expert. She was like, yeah, that sounds cool. I made it up. I said, <laughs> I said, that, I said uh, pop culture expert. Put Xavier Jernigan, pop culture expert. Cool. So then they put it on the screen. It must be true. I'm a pop culture expert because that's what I was always considered. I always considered myself that, not just pigeonholed. And that started really this mm. pundit hosting cultural expert part of my work. So when I when I got let go of Epic, Shady Circumstances, now that's another conversation for another day. This That's what I was talking about, y'all, when I said I got laid off. I got laid off from Epic, some mm -hmm. very shady circumstances. Another story for another day, probably in my book to come down the line. But Promo. There you go. Promo. <laughs> so you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna you tune in for that. You heard it you first. So you're gonna program. wanna tune I love in it. We're breaking news now. We're gonna break it. <laughs> exactly. I had to give I had to give you something, Bryce. <laughs> give so, me a little something. Exclusive. So <laughs> so during that time in between, I really leaned into what can can this turn into something? I feel like I have a knack for it. People seem to connect with me. I feel like I'm pretty good at it. So I leaned into that. Then Fast forward a couple of years, got a call from Def Jam and every job, this is really important. I didn't say it clearly, but every job that I've had in this business came through somebody either calling me, texting me yes. or emailing me, going mm -hmm. back to the bad boy internship, the email came through. It wasn't just a regular application process. Eric Petty on the corner of Broadway in 56th street, you know, like getting a call from the former GM at Motown, who was now the head of sales at Def Jam. And he called me like going to Epic. I got an email one day, like right. all these things, even Atlantic trying to hire me that just came through, you yeah. know, so I say all this to say, when you're in that room, be that light, be yourself, yes. bring your all. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to see you. People are watching you. That's nothing to be afraid of. That's something to embrace. You don't know who's watching. Treat everybody good. Because mm -hmm. people want to work with people they like. Right. People mm -hmm. want to work with people that are pleasant. That's so important. So mm -hmm. I got a call. And he said, hey, you know, this, this sales thing, it's really not sales anymore. It's more commerce. Right. It's digital. Mm -hmm. It's now streaming. 
So now we're all the way in 2014. And he said, I need somebody like you to come into the space with a marketing mindset. You're a marketer, but I need a head of digital commerce to come in with a marketing mindset and change the profile of the people that do this job and how this job is done. I want to change how it's done at Def Jam, at Universal, and how it's done in the industry. I want you to change it, not me. <laughs> I want you to change it. That's my challenge to you. This is not an interview. Do you want to do it? Yeah, let's do it. And I went to Def Jam mm. August of 2014, and I was the head of digital commerce. And I went in there, and it was my job to have all the relationships with the digital service providers, the DSPs, and bring the artists through, set up the plans, and I approached it like a marketer. And I'm happy to say that I did change how the job was done and how we approached it. So wow. through that, we broke logic. I broke logic through that. We didn't break him through the traditional means. We broke him at the DSPs. And then oh, everything wow. followed after that. We same with Alessia Carl, who ended up being a Best New Artist yes. Grammy winner. We broke her through the DSPs. That mm. came through my approach to the work. But then also, just God's favor being at the right place at the right time. We had some amazing mm. albums come through. I had to do Bieber's Purpose album. His second album coming through. Didn't want it to be a sophomore slump. See how that came around? Like, yeah, yeah. like so I had to do that right. And then we, I did some innovative things with coordinating with radio when we were going to drop what we're called. I don't even think they call them this anymore, but we they call them instant grat tracks. Like, but just re essentially releasing singles time with radio and radio appearances and TV appearances. So we came up with this innovative plan that was led by digital commerce for rolling out the Bieber purpose album. So did that, but then also Kanye Life of Pablo, we that came out when I was there. Rihanna's Anti and Life of Pablo. I don't know if y'all remember this streaming only album. It's the first album yes. that went gold, and then the first al first album that went platinum, streaming only in the history of recorded music. Mm. I did that. Wow. I can say breaking news. Wow. I did that. You know what I'm saying? Wow. So I got to, so I got to. I had the bomb effects I would drop them. You know what I'm saying? Where's my air horn? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't have you an air horn. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, I was able to really be there, you know, it's being there at the right time, but you got, you got to seize it. You got to seize the opportunity. And we had Big Sean's Dark Sky Paradise and YG and 2 Chains and Vince Staples. We launched his career there. So like, was able to do some really cool stuff. And what ended up happening is the DSPs, the partners would say to me, Man, X, other labels need to hire guys like you to do this job. Right. Fast forward a year, about a year and a half, they started saying, we need somebody on this side like you. Because really, the tech companies, the Apples, the Spotify's, SoundClouds, so on and so forth, by and large were tech companies that did music but they a lot of them didn't have an injection of people who really were music industry people right. on the inside they really didn't understand how the industry moved they understood how they wanted to do business and how they came in contact with the industry but right. they needed other people to really kind of to advance the business take it to another place it's now we're now talking 2016. And they hit me up about it. And Spotify was my dream company, you know, because, you know, the vantage point that I had was that I worked with all of them. I'm talking about Rhapsody, all of them. So, and I went 
to all of, all of their offices, bringing the artists through, all of that stuff. Right. I was like, Spotify, I like the vibe here. You know, going to the New York office, I was just like, man, I like the vibe here. I like how they're doing things. But, you know, there's room for improving and, you know, being on the other side and working it from the other side. And I ended up going into Spotify as the head of music editorial for North America. So I was in charge of all curation and playlisting for U.S. and Canada. Oh, wow. And that was September 2016. I went in there. Spotify wasn't really in podcasting at the time. Spotify had about three original podcasts. Two of them were trash. One was pretty good. You know, just said it true seven years ago, you know, and I didn't I didn't talk about hosting or anything at, you know, coming in. I was there to do a job as an exec and I was really able to do some cool things. But then, you know, when you come in from the outside to a place, you do have an advantage. I know sometimes people struggle with being a new guy, the new person, but you do have an advantage. You have a fresh set of eyes. Right. You're not indoctrinated. You haven't been indoctrinated yet to the way they do things. Right. Don't be so fast to get fully indoctrinated. Understand how things work, where you're going, but don't be too fast to conform because it'll conform your thoughts to and box you in if you're not careful, which which goes back to the program. My biggest takeaway. Absolutely. And to you bridge the gap by... um, I like what you said. Don't be too quick to be indoctrinated. The way you can help yourself is ask curious questions about why yes. people are the way they are. Exactly. And then like, just be a good listener. That's right. And, and then listen. Yeah, when you ask, then listen and then take yeah. it in. Like you don't have to be so quick. And I get why, because you want to prove why you're there. You know, you want to prove that you belong. No, it's okay. Take it, take time to put it together with your fresh set of eyes and fresh ideas, but then be a good listener, be an active listener, right. take it in and then take time to learn the business. And then when the idea comes, now you can hopefully sell it in. And what I did is I had an open head count when I got there. One, I knew what I, well, I had two open head counts to be specific. One, we already knew what the job needed to be. I just needed to actually interview the people and hire for it, a job in a position in Canada. The other was, hey, and don't tell somebody like me this. Don't tell X this. They said, there's other open head count. This probably will never happen again. Hey, you got an open head count? It's whatever you feel like you need to do with it. Don't tell me that. Wow. Because I, <laughs> so, you know, after being there and kind of seeing, having a fresh set of eyes, talking to my team, I had about a team of like eight to 10 direct reports, I remember, between U.S. and Canada. Kind of about what we need. And then just kind of asking a lot of questions, just like you said, being inquisitive looking around and why is this or have we thought of that and needed you know Mm -hmm. one thing they didn't have at spotify at the time bryce was what we call now is cultural curation and they weren't doing like for example this this was what made me ask the question when i got to spotify i got there early september 2016 you know it had just came out on netflix cultural phenomenon now stranger things season one had just dropped. oh interesting okay and i watched stranger things before it blew up like i mean it blew up fast but it wasn't a hype yet. I just was looking at my Netflix on a Friday, this show, and it was by 80s. Like, looks like all well, the time I grew up riding bikes around, exploring. Oh, that looks like my childhood. So I watched it. And I was like, this show is incredible. And I remember I got to Spotify, you know, music, obviously, it goes without saying now <laughs> how much music is a big part of the show. But I'm watching and I get to Spotify and I'm like, oh, you know, we don't have an official Stranger Things playlist. And they're like, no. So all the biggest Stranger Things playlists, and I'm talking about millions of followers, 
hundreds of thousands, probably more accurate, of followers in these playlists were user playlists. They they just put the songs to, you know, the songs they heard in the show and put in a playlist and people followed them. And I remember asking a question, why didn't Spotify, like, why didn't nobody here know that was coming? Like, we, why do right. we have to be reactive to it? And I just remember asking that question, why isn't Netflix and Spotify talking to each other about right. what we're doing? Because we can help extend the life and the experience of the show through the music on our platform, because that's what people are actually doing anyway. They're, they're coming on Spotify to listen to the song that they heard in the show, to tap into that feeling. That helps Netflix. Absolutely. That helps Spotify. That helps our fans if we are doing official playlists and things like that for these shows. So I said, you know what? We need a work stream very specific to this. That's, that's, that stays on top of these things that goes out and is responsible for what should be partnerships in these cultural spaces. So yes. what I did was with that open headcount, I created a totally new position to Spotify called Cultural Curator. I wrote the job description. It, I don't know if it still stands, but at the time, at least, it was the most applied for a job in the history of Spotify. Oh, wow. And I went beyond just music industry people. I wanted people who just understood pop culture, people who could be a pop culture expert, who thought that way, who knew what was going on in all areas of pop popular culture, what people were talking about at work, what people are talking about amongst their friends. What's the next thing that's coming? I need somebody like that. So I hired somebody for the job, and that's what their job was. And my first partnership that I did to help me in that work was I did a partnership. We were in season one of Insecure on HBO. And anybody who watched Insecure, everybody knew that the conversation after wasn't just what happened in the show from a scripting standpoint. It was, what song was that? Right. Who, who was that? What, what, what song was that? Remember that? Everybody no. was like, what song was that? Absolutely. And one, one of the best things you can do, this is one thing, it's two ways I think of marketing when I'm coming up with a marketing idea. One is, even if I don't like something, what could grab my attention? You know, all the way right. back to that little kid in Daytona watching. What could grab my attention? The other thing is, so one thing is, you know, what could grab my attention? The other thing is, how can I help people solve a problem they don't even know they have? Mm. The problem that people mm -hmm. didn't realize they yeah. had is they didn't know it was a problem to not be able to easily identify the music in the show. People shouldn't have of to course. sit there and try to Shazam or go online and ask, you know, go on Twitter. Hey, what was the third song that played in that scene with, with Issa and, you know, and, and, you know what I mean? Like people like shouldn't have to yeah. ask themselves that. When What's the watching need the behind the need? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I said, and, I, and one thing I noticed is, oh, Issa's a Spotify user because I checked out her Twitter and she sent, she sent out playlists on using Spotify before. So I said, well, she's a Spotify user. We need to help her solve that problem. And I was in, you know, I was watching Insecure every week. So I was a part of these conversations of what song was that? You know, that song was dope. The music was dope. And that was something she was very intentional about. Long story short, I had a coworker that worked at HBO. I stopped her in the hallway one day. I said, I need a contact over there. I'm trying to do this. Da -da -da. Connected me with somebody. And a few weeks later, this was midway through season one, we launched the official Insecure Spotify playlist. 
Ah, nice. And the only That's thing cool. Issa Rae would tweet out after every episode, I'm talking about as soon as the episode ends, is to listen to the music that you just heard in the episode. Oh, you I know. lost you, X. You, can you hear me now? I lost you for a little bit. You said the only thing that Issa Rae would tweet, would okay. tweet out is- Okay, I'll pick up from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm? The only thing Issa Rae would tweet out at the end of an episode, and I'm talking about as soon as it airs, I'm talking about the second it ends, the top of that next hour. I think the episode, I think Insecure came on at nine. So at 10 o'clock, she would tweet this out. She would tweet out the playlist. And the playlist was updated from the songs that you heard in order in that episode. So the whole playlist from, if you start at the bottom, even if you go to the playlist now, that's the first song at the, in, at the top of the first episode of Insecure, which was Kendrick Lamar's All Right. And every song in order from the bottom up. So it would be updated. So that would be the only thing she would tweet after an episode. So it became a thing that people went to right after. Here are the songs you were looking for. And then we will feature the playlist, you know, on Spotify, on the platform so people can find it that way. And it blew up and it turned into a whole thing. Uh, and now, and now that's just a regular way of doing business. But that was the first one we did. And then I did this big deal with Disney because Disney is a genre unto itself. So now when you look at Spotify, when you look at, when you go on search and tap that, you know, under the search bar, you scroll up there, there are different tabs and those are different, you know, essentially genres. So you go, you know, browse genres and you go into those and we have a Disney one specifically. So I was a, I, I launched that in partnership with Disney and then partnering on all their playlists because they're just different genres unto themselves. And we did the same thing with Netflix. So that's what came through that. So what I ended up doing was I created a whole team because that job, cultural curator, was really about me doing proof of concept. And I knew if that worked out, that's the work I was more in, most interested in. I was more interested in that work. I was like, if I do the head of North America job right for music editorial, then somebody can take parts of that role. I'll take a couple of these roles, headcount, and then spin off my other team, cultural partnerships. So long story. I, created a team called cultural partnerships. And then I became a head of cultural partnerships, wrote my own job description for that and took three head mm. count with me. And then I was doing that. And then very similar to how it happened when I was at Universal, but now on another level, you know, now Spotify was starting to ramp up in podcasts and we were right. just really starting to get into the podcasting business. And very similarly, man, I got a call out of the blue and I got pitched internally the whole season two, remember I said we had three podcasts, two of them were trash, one of them was good. The one that yeah. was good was called Showstopper, and it was about mm. the memorable music moments in TV shows and films. Right. And I was asked to be the host for season two. Season one had a different host, different vibe. And I said, yeah, but I need to change the music bed. I need to pick, you know, half of the shows, shows that I'm into. So basically every episode of that podcast was about either a TV show nice. or a film. And we would talk to the creators. We would talk to the actors, the music supervisors, the composers, the writers, the directors, the music supervisors about the music in the show and these special moments because they're always ear earmarked by music. That's why I chose music when I mm. said I always knew I would go into entertainment. I'm a film buff too. I watch a lot yes. of different TV shows as well. But music exists in all of these mediums. These mediums don't exist without music. It's ubiquitous. 
It's, it soundtracks your lives. It gets you through that tough workout. You don't have a church service without music. It's, right, absolutely. It's, it's everywhere. You don't want to go on a road trip. You don't ride in your car without music or the audio experience or on a flight. So it's it's just a part. It's so much a part of your lives. It's the one form of entertainment that you can consume fully while doing other things. As opposed to a movie, you really got to be watching that movie. And if you're not just watching that movie, you're yep. going to miss parts. Absolutely. You can't watch, you can't, people try it and they shouldn't, but you can't really watch a movie while driving. Like, wow. No, you know what no. I mean? <laughs> please don't do that, y'all, please. No, no, but don't like, do that. Yeah. You know, music is the one you could do that. That's why I chose music at the end of the day. And that's what I really wanted to really lean into as Spotify. So the fact that I got asked to host, and I said up front, I was like, and I'm telling you, Bryce, I never talked about hosting at Spotify. But when something's meant for you, when God has something for you, it will right. find you. Right. And we weren't even mm -hmm. in the podcasting heavy at the time. I mean, 2023, we're the podcast, we're the world podcasting leader now. We went after Apple and got it. Like, right. the world po it. like what? We're the world podcasting leader now. I'm talking 2017. Right. We weren't in the game yet. I had right. never done a podcast. Right. And I told them that. And they said, we'll teach you everything you need to know, but you have what we need. Right. Right. And I brought my all nope. to it. So I had a relationship with Spike Lee. We did a Spike Lee episode. We did an Insecure episode. We did Queen Sugar, where I talked to Michelle and Deggio Cello. We did a Baby Driver episode with writer-director Edgar Wright. And if you know anything about music and you've seen Baby Driver, if you haven't seen Baby Driver, that's your homework. Go see Google Harf Pierre, then go watch Baby Driver. Do the, and, then, Baby and also Google Tracy Waples, too, while you're at it. But watch Baby Driver. It's like a music video. Mm. So talk to him and, you know, I just realized I had a, a knack for interviewing, like and really connecting and really bringing these conversations to life. So did that and it got it made a lot of like, you know, best music podcast lists, that kind of thing. But I knew I could be better as a podcaster. I felt really strongly about my interviewing skills. But to me, my narration sounded like I was reading. And most people, when they read, sound like they're reading. Most people read stuff. It sounds like you're reading. Your voice sounds a little right. different. Your cadence mm -hmm. is a little different from how you talk. And I knew for me, if I'm really going to do this podcasting thing, in terms of the bar I set for myself, the standard that I set for myself, I said when I do my narration, I want to sound just like I'm talking. Now, people can't even tell if I'm right. reading or not. They like right. don't even know I have a script in front of me. I knew if I could get that down, then I would get into a special space. So Showstopper did well in terms of like critical acclaim then during the pandemic and now now we're ramping up in podcasting and podcasting is growing leaps and bounds and it's right. turning into a thing and fast forward to 2019 i got asked to be official in-house talent for spotify so that became an official part of my job and now i'm hosting off sites and all hands and so it's kind of like the executive part is coming together a lot of the partnership deals i'm doing right bryce they start asking like oh well can you host this thing or Hey, this thing we're doing together, why don't you host or why don't you come and be on a red carpet? Right. And then it just <laughs> like, why don't you come do the Oscars red carpet? Bring Spotify and be on the red carpet at the what? Right. And then I'm on a red carpet at the Oscars and for the American Music Awards and all it, you know, and then interviewing Brad Pitt on a red carpet at the right. for Babylon and all this. So I hosted another podcast called The Window, which is about life during the pandemic really about me taking a look outside of my window, New York City, 
in 2020, what am I seeing? But also taking a peek into other people's windows who are giving audio diaries of their daily lives. So each episode was following an audio diary. So for one episode was about an emergency room doctor, an ER doctor in Albany, Georgia, and what was going on there. Another episode was about a black woman who owned a beauty shop in Atlanta. And when the shop had to shut down, when everything closed down and how she as a, an entrepreneur, another episode was about Christopher wow. Smalls, who the Staten Island Amazon distribution center, who he organized a union and organized yeah. and got fired. But then, so one episode was with him. Another episode was Tamika D. Mallory around Black Lives Matter. And because, you know, all that popped off with the, with yep. the murder of George Floyd. So mm -hmm. we got into a, a lot of that. And, and that was the show that put me on another level as a podcast host and talent. Where I really, for real, saw myself as like really doing this. And it just took me to another level. And then later in 2020, I was the lead host for the Get Up, Spotify's morning show. We did a daily morning right. show. And I did that 397 episodes for almost two mm. years, stepped away from that. But that took me to a way another level in terms of being a host, reading the headlines and making the headlines sound like me, or your friend talking to you about the right, headlines. Right, right, absolutely. And then like, plus giving my normal conversation. Yes, and that was something mm. I really wanted to just like get, you know, nail that and get that down. And producing segments, I really learned how to produce and bring my ideas to life in terms of in the podcasting sense. So I took a, you know, another step there and we had, we, we garnered a big audience and a big following, but I knew it was time for me to step away from that. And when I stepped away from that, part of the decision ended up being that since I was stepping away, we didn't announce this publicly, but it's okay for me to say it now, me stepping away from that meant they were going to shut the whole show down. Cause if they didn't have me as the lead host on the show, they just decided to shut the whole show down. They decided to go another direction. Wow. They did. Okay. And then, you know, this is the thing, y'all. Even if you don't know what next is supposed to be, if you know you're supposed to step away from something, let it go. Because if mm. you got a closed hand, you can't receive a new thing. So sometimes you got to open your hand to let it go. And, get the, and then that new thing will come to you. And the next thing that came to me was a pitch a couple months later for my head of personalization at Spotify about, hey, we got this AI DJ voice technology and I've been a fan of yours and I listened to the get up and I, my first week at the company, I was at an offsite and you were hosting and I was like, I'm a fan of that guy. I'm gonna listen to everything this guy does. And then he ended up, you know, asking me, you know, to be the voice of Spotify. And then, wow went in and did all the prep for that. And now I'm also behind the scenes of it, like in an executive capacity, helping to shape and steer what, you know, the next iterations of the experience would be like our writer's room that we have for it. And, but you know, the voice acting element of it, when I'm in, I'm voice acting when I'm training the, the AI voice model, but I'm voice acting as myself. So it's, it's just a, it's an interesting thing, man, just to have millions of people, listening to my voice and connecting with me every day is the most humbling and rewarding thing that I could be a part of, man. Like this company, Bryce, that didn't exist when I was in the NYU program, that I was just really getting to understand and learn when I was at Def Jam, 
that ended up becoming my dream company to work for. And now I'm the voice that people listen to. And it's my name. And it's that's literally my personality. Everything you hear is the way I talk, the word choices, all of that was shaped, you know, in partnership with a lot of wonderful people that I work with. It's so humbling. And what's for you was for you. And every step of that connects back to God telling me about, hey, there's this program at NYU that you're going to like. Go Google NYU Music Business. That's how it all came together, man. And that's where I'm at right now. So it's just been a wonderful journey. Another thing I do want to tell folks about is I'm right now, because you're invited, I'm guest curator for the Lincoln Center for hip hop. Oh, nice. And I curated the hip hop 50 concerts. So August 9th, from 8 to 10 p.m., I got the best mixtape DJ on the planet, J period, doing a live mixtape with Big Daddy Kane and Rakim, a special guest. I curated the whole experience. I'm also hosting. It's for free show, free, outdoor at Lincoln Center. All you got to do is RSVP is for the Summer in the City series. And then that Saturday, August 12th, the actual 50th anniversary of hip hop is Friday, August 11th. We're celebrating this culture that was birthed in New York City. So NYU, you know what it is. We went to school in this city. It's named after the city. Lincoln Center, Saturday, we're going to close out the Summer in the City series. And I'm, I curated this as well. We got Rhapsody because we got to represent the women too and their contributions to hip-hop. But one of the best lyricists in the game, North Carolina's Rhapsody, and then Rakim doing a traditional style show. And we got special guests on that too. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. I'm hosting that too, fully curated by me. That's 8 o'clock to 10 p.m. And then from 10 p.m. to 12, we're having a silent disco. So I got a DJ, Mr. Life of Your Party, Brooklyn Zone, DJ, and we're going to have a good time. So y'all come out. It's free. Just, just Google Lincoln Center, Summer in the City, RSVP, come out. You're going to have a great time. So being on these boards and the Burberry work and Lincoln Center and all the stuff, man, being a deacon at Emanuel Baptist Church in Brooklyn, New York, come through, check us out, like doing all this, it all ties together and it all connects back to being a product of NYU's music business graduate program. And I'm so thankful and so humble that God led me to it. That's what it boils down to, to for me. God led me to the program, man. Right. Absolutely. And then just as these doors just open up for you. It's just been, bro, the story is amazing. And it's just an amazing ride um, that you've been on and the work you've put in, but the opportunities mm. that have presented themselves for you that you've been able to walk through. It's just an amazing story, bro. Man, and I'm, I'm I mean, just getting you on to tell it has been a privilege for me to hear, to just hear this journey, man. And I mean, I mean, I can't believe we've taken, it's been almost two hours just going in <laughs> right. about your experience. I mean, you've given us gems and people I know are going to take away some I great so. stuff from the story. I have two more questions I want to ask. Sure. And then we can get out. We'll kind of yeah. put them together. Okay. What are you curious about right now? And if you could go back and talk to yourself on the first day that you started the program, hmm. what would you say to yourself? Woo, great questions. Okay. What I'm curious about right now is where this AI DJ experience is going to go. There's so many, I've, I've seen some iterations of it, Bryce, that will, I mean, it's already blowing people's minds, but I'm telling y'all, 
where this thing is going is next level incredible. So I'm curious about just how we can keep leveling it up. But I'm telling y'all, there's some stuff that ain't even out yet that that is going to come. It's going to blow your mind. And I'm not trying to be cryptic because I can't give give specifics yet. But just where it can go and how it can further integrate with people's lives is what I'm curious about now. Because at its heart, what DJ is about is about connection and connecting with people and making people feel. Because I'm your personal DJ, right? That means that what you listen to and, and the music that's being served up to you, familiar favorites or new stuff that we're pretty certain that you're going to like, that means I'm your DJ. That means it's okay. What you like is okay. And it's just connecting with you. So if you feel connected with it that way, that means you will feel seen, you will feel heard, and therefore valued. Right. So we want this to be even more of a help to you in your lives. Like, x when you're listening to the ai version of me right it's a it's an ai version of me right but the dj is not human but it is completely based on me right but it's not a human and we don't try to act like ai x is human he's your personalized dj based fully on me right so we just want it to be even more of a help to your daily lives not in a personal assistant way i'm not siri i'm not alexa i'm x here for your music needs but it's other ways we talked about earlier how music is ubiquitous and how it ties into all these other places in your lives. So I'm curious about how this experience can further integrate into other things you do in your lives that integrate with music and where you interact with music and where this personalized AI DJ experience can take you in that. And that's what I'm curious about. And it's very, very exciting so i'm oh, glad I bet it, is. It, it sounds exciting i know we've only you know touched the surface of what this could be yeah and it's like yeah. you know just to be you know it would be cool if i was just the voice right i would be cool in and of itself but the fact that i get to be behind the scenes and consult with the different teams and you know that i'm in the writer's room that i you know that i'm talking to you know i talked to you know me, daniel eck about these things and i we're brainstorming together and he's such a big fan of it and you know, just to be a part of that and to be the spokesperson for it and, to, you know, do all the press around it. It's just, it's just an exciting time, man. And I'm just, it's, it's so humbling and rewarding at the same time. Now, if I had to go back and talk to Xavier, yes. first day of the program, I would say you're in the right place. Yep. Simple as that. You're, you're in the right, right place. place. You're in the right mm. place for you mm. simple as that simple as that i, I mean, don't regret a day yep. of having done it and i'm thankful to even say that working in this business all the ups and the downs remember y'all i got laid off i got forced into a voluntary package before the program right you know some shady stuff behind the scenes you know i've seen some crazy stuff interacted with some crazy folks but i've also had just wonderful experiences and i just I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change any of it. You're in the right place, wherever you are. It, it's all a part of the journey. So lean into it, bring your full self to it. I'm so thankful that I did the program, but I'm proud to say Bryce, that working in this business that I fully paid off every cent of my student loans, There you working go. in this business. There you so, go. So you can really have a career doing this man and just, 
shaping it. I'm just, I feel good every day waking up knowing that, man, this, I'm still doing things connected to what I learned in the program, even though Spotify didn't even exist back then or all this AI voice stuff. But I was fully prepared to work in new and emerging technologies. I always worked on stuff that was about the next thing in terms of tech, digital marketing. It was called new media when I started. Right. New media. Absolutely. You remember that? So, oh, absolutely. You know, so to be at the forefront of these things happening in tech and podcasting and things that I'm doing there as a producer and executive producer, really exciting. And I'm thankful. And I'm just, thank you for doing this, man. You did a great job. Bro, let me tell you something. First and foremost, I don't know, has any platform, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, Uh has any platform got the full Xavier Jernigan story? I think this this may be the first time. I think this is the first time. The way we just sat in this, no, you you got this. The NYU, you got it. Yo, I feel, yo. I feel very humbled and privileged to get the story, bro. And I mean, just just even the, what would you say? You're in the right place. Like, small but profound. Yeah, like, Bryce. Small but profound. Just to go back and say, keep on, you would tell yourself, keep on the journey because you're in the right place. You're in the right place. You're and in the right just, place. Yeah. And that just, I don't even think no more needs to be said, bro, because you've given the people just gem after gem. And <laughs> I know you, people man. are going to get inspired by this story because I'm inspired by everything you've done um I'm glad. everyone yeah everyone that is xavier x jernigan hey um yeah just just so great to have him on um head of cultural partnerships and the voice of spotify um x thanks for coming on the show man thank you You're for My blessing pleasure. us with your story it was great to have you on. thank you man daytona beat stand up brooklyn you know what it is stand up nyu stand up famu rattlers stand up Love y'all, man. Much respect, Bryce. I appreciate everything you're doing, man. I appreciate who you are as a man and what you're doing for the NYU music business alumni. It's important, and I appreciate you, brother. So thank you, man. Great job. You're a wonderful listener. That's a, Yo, that's a, that's a rare skill these days. I appreciate that, my brother. I appreciate you coming on, and thank you, X, again. Uh, everyone, thank you for tuning in. It's been a great episode. I gave you two hours today, so a little bit over two hours. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at BryceB88. Um, I will have more episodes in the future very soon. But until then, take care and be well. Thanks for listening to this episode of People from the Program. Be sure to check us out anywhere you listen to your podcasts and stay tuned for future episodes of the show. 